This week, Three Sides of the Coin, we sit down with Andy Biersack from Black Veil Brides again. This is a cool discussion. We talk about it really is. The, 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 we talk about the Kiss streaming event, and we really talk a lot about uh, COVID and how it's impacting the music industry and touring and live streaming. And Andy gives us firsthand experience to all of this because he's had tours canceled. He's been doing live streaming events. He's he's got a lot of stuff coming up. So Andy Biersack this week, and it's a long it's a conversation long time coming. Yep. We needed to talk about this. Yep. So let it roll. Andy from Black Veil Brides. This is Three Sides of the Coin. Talking all things KISS. I want to rock and roll all night. You're listening to Three Sides of the Coin. Want to get your official Three Sides of the Coin logo and Shocker tee? Now you can. We ship worldwide. Get yours online at shop.threesidesofthecoin.com. Hey, Three Sides. We are excited to welcome back a good friend of the show. Oh, is this your... This is your probably third time on Andy. Hat trick, baby. This is the Hat third trick. time. Andy Beersack. Andy Beersack from Black Veil. We need to Brock. give him like the gold smoking jacket or something. Well, so this is my this is my uh this is what they gave me for my third. This is my award there for you my go. third. Thank God uh, it's Tuesday. Yeah, thank God it's Tuesday. An old school shirt. There you um, go. So just real quick, and this is this is unrelated to to anything really, but we were before everything went downhill as far as touring goes and, and the world went into what we're in now, which we will get into, obviously. But um, I, we were going through our old uh, stuff in our, in our storage space and kind of clearing stuff out. And we had new wardrobe cases. And I went through the drawer, my drawer in our old wardrobe case, and I cleaned everything out. And it smelled like ass because of the sweat on leather and everything else. And at the very bottom of this wardrobe case was a handful of like sweat congealed guitar picks to the bottom of the drawer. And they were all Tommy Summers guitar picks all along the the bottom of the drawer. I sent him a picture and it was like, it was like I was an archeologist, like digging these things out of the drawer. At some point, I guess that we, you must've given me a handful and I put them in there and then I guess they got oh, yeah. lost over time, but they were preserved in time with the sweat of rock. Auction them <laughs> off to your fans. Tell them some weird story that they're very rare and worth a fortune. <laughs> <laughs> very rare Tommy picks. Absolutely. The, for the for the one night that that Tommy Summers was in the band, and then we fired his ass. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> so how you doing, Andy? It's good to have you back. Thanks, man. Yeah, I'm happy to be back. Uh, this is my once every four years appearance on the show. That's my <laughs> my current situation. Uh, uh, no, I'm I'm really happy to be here. Uh, Tommy and I are in a fantasy football league with a number of other people in rock bands and other stuff. And Tommy's not doing so well, but I, you might, you're projected to win this week. So that's that projected to win last week. And uh, well, you know, what was going on? I forgot to check it. So I was yeah. down, down at least one guy, but I, yeah, I'm, I'll get it figured out sooner or later where I'm not you're, looking at you're it. You're on the way up. Whereas my bass yeah. player, uh, much to my joy, is on the way down. And that yes, makes and me I very happy him. because, yes, because he was projected to win all but one game and I was projected to lose all but one game. 
and I love him. He's like a little brother to me, the newest guy in the band. And he talked so much shit and texted me all these things like, you're going to go down. And then now he's lost every game uh, but one. And so I, it's, I greatly enjoy that. So I, I, I'm always rooting for you, Tommy. Some of the other people, I, I, because uh, you're new. So next year, I will no longer root for you because no, you're exactly. next year you've got no protection, Tommy. You're on yeah, your well, own. Some of the some of the smack these guys talk back and forth. It's it's really funny and it's great to be a part of it. I just can't I can't jump in yet because I don't know enough about it. So I'm figuring it out slowly but surely. Well, we've got Scott Engel, who is the fantasy football host on SiriusXM, and he is a massive massive kiss fan uh his team is called hawk and roll over uh i just did his show on sirius yesterday and uh huge kiss fan so there's a big kiss presence in the league as well and where isn't there a big kiss presence in this exactly all reads all roads lead back to kiss uh, what what does gene say it's a kiss world we all live in yeah it's that is the truth (laughs) he would love to be able to to think that so 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 i'd love to i think it, it's it makes perfect sense for our kiss topic this week um to talk about their new year's eve event that they just announced and and it's funny because last week's show which just went live today as we're recording it i basically ended the show by saying kiss just do something please do something you know paul you did those couple of um live streams of you playing in your in your at home recording studio which were very cool but do something because so many bands are out there doing something to just stay active and creative online and it's like you're freaking kiss you can do anything you want and what was it like the next day because it makes me look like an asshole but hey i'm used to that i'm a tool (laughs) um the next day they announce this massive new year's eve live show and live stream i mean my take on it is that it is going to have a limited audience if you go to dubai i mean that's the that's the first issue i mean you got to get to dubai i mean i don't know if can americans even enter dubai i don't know what countries were allowed now was that was that made uh public or because i maybe maybe i'm completely off base here but i had the understanding that this was like a pre-recorded uh live show thing i don't I don't know all of the specific details. I'm only going off of what I read. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's said in there, there's a limited number of hotel rooms available at this venue. Um, so that leads me to believe it must be a live event. Nothing, I mean, yeah. otherwise, why would you go fly all the way to Dubai if the band isn't going to be there? And it's just, no, pre- yeah. it's pre-recorded. I mean, I don't put it past, you know, whoever's <laughs> organizing it, but I would tend to believe it is a live show happening on New Year's Eve. Um, what they say, like 50 cameras, um, yeah. a million dollars. view, the whole deal. Yeah. Views, the largest fireworks display ever, like the Guinness world record of a million dollars in, in fireworks is going to be set off at the end of the show. I mean, leave it to kiss to go bigger than anything anybody's ever done. Um, but in a captive audience, it's and, new year's Eve. What, what the hell are we all going to be doing? Except uh, watching it. <laughs> so that's what, you know, well, here's the thing. My manager, when it came out, that was the thing that we both said was, uh, you know, cause we were, te- he's a big kiss fan too. We were texting back and forth as basically, when they started putting up the countdown on their Instagram, we're like, we what, were is going, what is what do you, it? Yeah, what do you think this is? And he goes, oh, I think it's a live stream, whatever. And then I kind of started, you know, whatever, asking around within the industry and figuring out kind of what it was. So I, I knew what was happening a few days beforehand. But 
um, I was I was like, this is a fantastic in terms of timeline. The idea of a day that generally speaking, people would be partying or getting together with people. Obviously, that is not a safe idea right now. You're sitting at home. What better way to celebrate on that time than with the big fireworks, crazy ass show? And for them to be obviously inactive like the rest of all the bands in the world right now, um, it's. I think it's great. I wondered how long it would take them to enter the live stream sphere. You know, when they were going to get in that conversation. And I think that, understandably, it, for a show like theirs, it's going to take. This is. I think maybe the first real full-fledged rock show that's going to happen in full the streaming production. era, yeah. you know, full, full production. Perfect. You haven't really yeah. seen that. Some bands have done it, but as far as a heritage act, large scale, what would be otherwise a shed or arena show being broadcast, um, it's, you know, it's going to set the standard in that way. You know, what I found interesting was when you started looking at what time the show will happen around the world, like here in California, we're going to be doing the countdown at 9 a.m. <laughs> I'm celebrating New Year's Eve at 9 a.m. on New Year's Eve. So, you know, that, that, that's also what led me to believe it's a live event because based on where you are around the world, you're tuning in at a, at, at a different time because it will be New yeah. Year's Eve Dubai that they're celebrating and the rest of the world that's streaming and is just going to have to watch it at your local time. So I thought that was kind of cool. And, and, and frankly, like for an old timer like me, how great is that? I 9 a.m. Kiss concert. I can be done and having lunch. You mean, you know, I'm ready for my the ideal yeah. scenario. Truth be told, I am someone who uh, I don't love going out in Hollywood and I don't love going to, you know, nightclubs or whatever. And a few of my friends' bands have done streams recently that are like six in the afternoon. And I've told them like, this is glorious because yes. I can watch your show as a friend and I don't even, yeah. I'm, I'm in pajamas. This is fantastic. Exactly. Isn't it great? Yeah. I can have a nap when we're done and then go have dinner and then go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, the way concerts have changed. But the thing that, that's odd to me is it's, is it's just like Pete, we were talking, Andy and I were kind of talking about this last night. It's like scrolling on Facebook. You see something that you don't like, people just can't just let it go. They have to make a comment and start a problem. And it's the same thing with this Kiss pay-per-view. It's like, look, if you guys don't want to spend the money, don't just- Well, that, that's, what I, that, that's what I was going to bring up kind of for a discussion here is, um, you know, it's it's not a free live stream, people. It's, I think the lowest is $39.99 all the way up to $1,000. Um, you know, okay, first of all, if you've been a lifetime KISS fan, you shouldn't be shocked that KISS is going to charge you for something. I mean, you're, sure. you're following the wrong band yeah. if you yeah. want stuff to be free all the time. Yeah. Now, you know, Andy, obviously, you've got a band. I work in the music business. You know, God bless the bands that have been doing free live streams. But because we don't know when touring is going to return, how soon it's going to return, you know, more and more bands are looking at how do I actually start monetizing this now? I can't keep doing live streams for free. I can't do a live stream hoping for tips and donations mm -hmm. not, not to say there there are some bands out there small bands but you know they could be making a couple thousand dollars in tips and donations in a live stream and that's great it might be more than they make doing a show at their local bar but bands have the right 
should have the right and need to start looking how to monetize this because as we were talking before we hit the record button, as a band, you have had no income, no business for eight months now. I mean, it's, it's tough on bands. So to pay 40 bucks for a live stream, and let's, let's be honest, if I had to, could pay 40 bucks for a concert ticket, I'd take that any day of the week. And well, I can invite, well, you could potentially invite a few people in, in, in theory. Social, in theory, in theory yeah. um, you know, and you can split the cost and you've got this great live stream event on your big screen TV. But, but even it, just in your own home, Michael, if, if yeah. you were to go with your family to a KISS show, you would have to get a ticket for everybody. You know ticket what I mean? In theory, and parking, you'd have to, yeah, and parking. Whereas if in this scenario, one ticket is the whole house. It's the whole you family. Know, that's everybody that's there. Yeah. Uh, I will say this, uh, as far as the, the cost, um, yes, it is very, obviously there's, there's no income as far as most bands make their income from touring and, and merchandise sales and all that kind of stuff. That is the primary source for the vast majority of touring artists. That is the primary income source. But also, like, I can just give an example of what, what we have done so far. Um, you know, we, we had our 10th anniversary of our first record. We wanted to do something that um, was a, something that was kind of in tribute to the beginning of the band. We did a live stream playing that first record front to back in kind of our old look and costumes. And also doing it at a place that we played on that very first tour, which is the Whiskey Go-Go in Hollywood. Now, we had to to rent out the Whiskey Go-Go. We had mm -hmm. to build out our own staging onto that stage in a dormant venue. We had to pay for the kind of extemporaneous crew that's at the venue, let alone our crew. We obviously want to pay and make sure that our crew is taken care of. So you're, it's, it's a kind of a multi-tier thing. You're providing jobs in a time where there aren't any. So that's, for us, it feels good to be able to give our crew members and our, our touring crew jobs when they're not getting any work right now. But also there's an overhead cost to doing that. And you could th theoretically do a live stream. Say you're a band that has a, a lockout rehearsal space and you're already paying that rent or your rent control, whatever it is, you could do a live stream in there and there would be little to no overhead on that. But if you begin to try to make something that has any kind of production value, or you need to have it be a full-scale show in some capacity, even with just us renting out a club and, and downsizing our staging and making it feel like a small club show, there's still a lot of overhead there because we have not yet reached the point in terms of industry where promoters, whether it's a, you know, a big company like Danny Wimmer Presents or Live Nation themselves or whatever it is, have reached the point where it is financially viable enough for them to front the cost for the artists to come in and get paid a guarantee to do these streams. So by and large, you're looking at the line share of the costs are being taken on by the artists. And then whatever money comes in from those ticket sales, most of the time is to, to fill in the gaps of those expenses that you've had during a time when there is not money coming in left and right, or there's not money coming in as there would be on a tour where those expenses are replenished in a, on a good tour, those expenses are replenished immediately. So what you're doing is you're fronting the money to try to put on this show in hopes to be able to pay that back and then be able to make money off of that in the end. And I think that there's not necessarily a large understanding of what that is. If you just said, Michael, that they're putting a million dollars into the fireworks display on this show, that's an overhead expense for this artist, regardless of how big and rich KISS are. Right. That's an expense that they are putting into it under the assumption that they will be able to make that back and either make money or break even regardless of the circumstance and regardless of how much money they currently have in their bank account to be able to be able to monetize 
live music in any capacity in a time when none of us can tour across the board is essentially the kind of math equation that we're all trying to do. So while I understand from a fan perspective that there is an innate level of like, I, I'm sitting in my home, I wanna watch this, I don't understand why I have to pay for this. You have to also understand on the other side of it that just like anything, these are businesses and these are businesses that are hemorrhaging money across the board because there's nothing coming in. So you have to figure out a way to do it. Well, and I think this is a good discussion to have because I think the other thing that needs to be pointed out is not every single person who's in a rock band has 4,500 licensed items right now. So KISS is in a really unique situation. But regardless of whether they're multimillionaires or not, they've worked hard to get to where they are now and they should be able to um, charge for a product and make money. That's what we all do. And I think that some people just don't understand. They think that like all five of you guys live together in a house like the monkeys and it doesn't work that way and that you guys have bills to pay you've got families to feed just like all of us so really asking asking kiss to to give you a free pay-per-view to me is no different than calling up your buddy and asking him to come over and put in all the plumbing for a new bathroom in your house and just do it for free so you guys it's like working for 50 percent off on your hourly wage. I just don't think $40 for a full production thing is, that's nothing. You can spend 40 bucks in a you know in an evening out at the bar. Yeah, no, I, I, completely, I completely agree. I mean, and, and, and just to be clear, I'm, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm assuming it's the case with KISS. Like that million dollars in pyro, KISS is probably not paying that out of their pocket, but the promoter who hired them is putting up some, money for this show now, someone is paying for some it. somebody is that's the whole point somebody's paying for it and i don't care whether it's kiss or a promoter or whoever it is that person has a right to recoup that all these costs because you know million dollars in pyro nothing to sneeze at if this is the full end of the road production a one-time show of shipping an entire show over to Dubai is not going to be cheap. A one-time show of getting band and crew and everything else over there. There's all sorts of expenses that are involved in this. And I just think it's ridiculous for fans to assume somebody should pay all of that, the millions of dollars that it's going to cost, and it should be a free show. I mean, that's just ridiculous to assume yeah of, of course but i will say to to kind of counter it there there certainly is i mean at least in, in our experience um and by the time this episode comes out we will have announced that we're doing a uh a kind of a, a, a live stream concert experience where we have we have done essentially like you know our greatest hits all of the, the singles from all of our records including the new one um, and we're performing them in, we've got all original video content and kind of, we wanted to make it a little bit more cinematic than just like the live stream thing. We're kind of looking at it like a live music video and we're offering a bunch of different things that go along with that and merchandise and the different tiers and exclusive live album stuff and all these things that will be available. And the, we try to keep the price point as low as possible, but there is obviously an inherent expense that we have to try to pay back. But I will say that um, the overwhelming majority of people, at least in my experience, our understanding of that yeah. and willing to pay that cost. Yeah. However, like anything, you guys know, there are five or six people in every group of, of 20 who will be angry about essentially anything that is said or done. 
And those are the people that are going to be leaving those comments. But to be fair, they're also the people that are going to be leaving comments saying that there's no way that this is going to succeed for Kiss because Ace and Peter aren't there. You know right. what I mean? Like it's the same yeah. so, sort of personality type, at least in yeah. my, from what I see. Yeah. No, I, and you're right. I mean, I, you know, as a Kiss fan, I am excited about this event. Now, I'm not going to spend the 200 and well, I shouldn't say I haven't decided yet. I'm not spending a thousand dollars for the ultimate VIP package. And and to be fair to Kiss, it you know, you're not meeting the band, but they're giving you a crap load of stuff like uh, 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 limited edition vinyl LP of the show, a DVD Blu-ray of the show, a um, whole bunch of exclusive merchandise items from the show. Um, you know, I'm definitely spending 40 bucks. I might spend a couple hundred if, if I feel like that's worthwhile, but that's what well, to so have a great time that. with a kiss concert for that kind of money. Or why, why wouldn't, why wouldn't a fan do that as I guess. And in your thought. pajamas with your own snacks. Exactly. You to choose your snacks. Well, if you, <laughs> and if you, if you are one of the people that spends a thousand dollars, God bless you because they're fans that are collectors, but they have the right to do that. And there'll be people who will be buying this thousand dollar package for no other reason than to break it up, get just the vinyl LP and sell all the rest of the stuff off. There's a lot of different reasons as to why buy. people will buy what they buy, but it, you know, it's, it's amazing how there's always, it doesn't matter what you do, there's someone who's gonna be unhappy because it's wrong for one reason or another. And that's the part that kind of, dumbfounds me it's like you guys all bitch that you want more music you want new music you want this you want that why do you think we're always telling you go out and buy the new black veil brides go out and buy the new ace fraley or all these different bands we talk about because if you want them to tour and you want them to make new music there has to be something in it for them other than just the desire to make new music. And some people, like you said, Andy, are really cool. They understand that and they'll happily hand you the 50 bucks or hundred dollars or whatever, but there's always this small contingency that no matter what, they just, they think it's a problem. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's also context. One of the things that has been kind of problematic in the age of streaming is that there are, it's hard, I think for everybody to kind of understand the context in which the stream is occurring, right? Like, so you look at something like, um, I'm doing uh, the voiceover work uh, for a DC uh, animated show where I'm, I'm playing Batman in it, right? And so that's a very exciting thing. But part of that for the announcement was it was part of the DC Fandom streaming event. And that was a two day streaming event that went 24 hours a day that was free for people, right? And so people see that and they go, well, that's a streaming event that's free. But the difference is, you don't have to pay to watch a trailer for a movie on the commercial that you're watching on TV. And that's essentially what that is. That is Warner Brothers pushing all of the, the trailer for Wonder Woman, the trailer for Batman, all that stuff in the same way that they are spending that advertising money to show it to you in the commercial break of the football game you're watching. So it, there is, you have to be able to contextualize what the stream is and who the person putting on is and what the overhead expense would be to a promoter, to an artist, to whatever you whatever it is down the road those types of things add up and, and like you said michael what is inconsequential who it is that's fronting those costs it's that the costs are there and you know and we were talking prior to, to starting recording there is just there is a, a a real kind of disconnect in terms of on the communication level for people and it's not anybody's fault but people don't necessarily understand how the how difficult this is to navigate this whole situation 
from a purely um, practical and financial perspective for musicians and artists and, and what have you, because of the fact that we are kind of living in this wild west and we don't know what tomorrow brings as far as news. We are told, I mean, I can tell you this, people ask about the tour that we were meant to do in the spring. And they say, when's it gonna happen? Or when are we gonna announce it? I have been told, and this is nobody's fault, three separate start dates that were supposed to occur for it. And then naturally we get close to that and everyone goes, yeah, that's not gonna happen. There's no way. But I mean, we were, I remember on the day that the, the, the tour that we're doing within this moment got postponed, the agreed upon start date was like September 15th. You know what I mean? And that's obviously long come and gone, but mm -hmm. there, there's, there's a lack of uh, understanding that people have. And again, it's not anybody's fault, but like everyone is trying to navigate how to be able to sustain their, their company, their brand, their identity, and their artistic integrity through all of this and find ways to make it entertaining and interesting for people. And it's, I think it's just everybody's kind of learning as we go. Well, that, 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 that's what's key here. I mean, I think part of, part of the problem we're dealing with is everybody on this planet is on Zoom. And, and, and what that means is they think except that's- Mark. That, well, except for Mark, exactly. <laughs> um, and that, so they think, you know, how hard is a live stream? I get on Zoom every day with my daughter for class. You hit this button, the camera comes on, it live streams, boom, it's that simple. And there are a lot of bands that do very simple live streams and God bless them. That's what's beautiful about live streaming is everybody can do it. But as bands start dipping their toes into this more and more, they're like, okay, we're going to have to live in this world longer than we thought. Like you said, you know, I remember last March, everyone's like, yeah, I think by September, October, we should be good. And then by summer, it was like, yeah, you know, maybe by Christmas, first of the year, we should be good. You know, and, 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 and I, my music biz podcast has done some interviews where it's like, okay, now we're talking summer of next year, fall mm -hmm. of next year. Even a lot of agents are like, no, nah, we're just scrapping everything and it's 2022 at this point in time. So the point being, whether it's the, a band like you, a venue, a promoter, agents, whatever, everybody's figuring out how to, how to create business out of this new world we're living in because it didn't exist on March 1st. March 1st of this year, Nobody was sitting here going, how do I set up a New Year's Eve live stream event and sell tickets right. for it? Didn't matter to you because you were just like, no, we're just going to go do a show. So all of a sudden, literally in the blink of an eye overnight, an entire industry here, and it's not just unique to the entertainment industry, but I feel like the entertainment industry is probably hit harder than most overall industries out there. I mean, yeah. you've got so many people in this business who are not necessarily employees or contractors. So, you know, all the road crew members, you know, if it was, if it was not a pandemic, you go from one tour to somebody else's tour to somebody else's tour. You just keep working as a contractor. And that's the way most touring crew that's, members, that's the way it they is. go from tour to tour. Yeah. I mean, I know, you know, the, our, our production uh, assistants last year hadn't been home for a year. Because he was just going tour to tour, tour to tour. 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 That, that's and how they survive. All of a sudden, what do you what do you do? And so, I mean, I will say, um, just a quick plug 
for the Nomads uh, website. That is a fund that is put together for the crew. It was put together by uh, Frank Finelli, who's our production assistant and has worked as my tour manager for solo stuff. And great guy, but that is essentially a fund to help with um, bills and other things for people who are out of work in this industry. So if you have any spare money that you can give, obviously it's a very difficult time for everyone right now financially, yep. and they're not trying to ask for much. But if you if you happen to want to help them out, you can go there. And it goes to crew from all over the music industry and the entertainment industry. But for on a personal level, um, a lot of the people that we have worked with over the and, years are, are and, part of you that. Know, and, you know, these crew members are not employees, so it's not like they just get laid off and go file unemployment. It's not like they can go find another job because if they wanted to find another job in a good time, oh yeah, maybe I'll go work at a theater. Well, theaters are shut down. Maybe I'll go work a trade show. Well, trade shows are shut down. There's The problem is that skill set is shut down across the board worldwide. So, you know, back to what I was getting to, everybody's trying to figure out how to make a business out of this new world. I mean, from from bands like you to the record companies, to the touring promoters, everybody's like, how do we do this? We, we can't spend another, we can't spend two years idle. Now, okay, we can do live streams. Well, you know, do we just set up a concert and live stream a concert? People are quickly learning. No, you got to actually do more than just live stream the typical show you would typically do. You've got to create something that's unique and special to a stream that you can do in a stream, but you couldn't do in a live show. But to your point, once you start putting some production value into that, there's costs involved. It's, mm -hmm. not, it's not like a band just going into their rehearsal room and putting a camera in front of them and hitting the play button and you know streaming. Like you said, there's pretty much no cost to that. But you wanna go get on a real stage, you've gotta rent the whiskey. You want real lights? You want to go somewhere that accepts pyro? Guess what? There's a cost to all that. There always is a cost. Mm -hmm. So it's 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 a learning experience, not just for the fans who don't understand the business and the behind the scenes of of the music world, but it's learning for the business itself to go. God, how do we how do we get through the next twelve months? What do we do? And you know, Kiss is dipping their toe in the water going, okay, we're going to do an incredible live stream. We're going to put together a full-blown, full-stage show, full-Kiss experience, but you're going to have to pay for it. Because that, yeah. you know, now, will that, we don't know. It might be a huge success. It may flop. We don't know. The problem is nobody knows at this point mm -hmm. how exactly it's going to be received because, you know, what we're also dealing with here is, you know, and we've got experience with this, Tommy, technical issues, you know, technical issues of live, live streaming. I mean, and, and Andy, you're probably seeing this. I mean, a lot of bands started doing true live performance live streams, but quickly realized, you know what, we don't get the quality we want out of that. We're going to pre-record a show and then stream a pre-recorded show because you can go back in and edit that pre-recorded video. You can do takes and clean it up and give yourself a better performance, which is ultimately a better show for the fans. But this is all new. This is new. I think you just have everybody. to be able to, and the other thing is you have to be able to pivot in terms of how it's done. And I will say this, like with anything, 
and you guys are, are aware of this because you see companies popping up and everything, but from March to now, there's been this huge influx of companies that have put together these spaces in different parts of the country where you can do your live stream here and they yep. have the cameras and they have the setup and everything else. And I can remember, and I will fully admit to this, the company that we work with on our most recent thing that we've done, they hit us up. This is our lighting company for years and years, big lighting company. They hit us up on March 10th and said, hey, uh, we're going to start migrating to doing live stream experiences rather than concerts. And we were still, I mean, just to get it, and I didn't even get to the full thing, but like I'm, I'm in a situation at the time where we had just bought a new lighting truss, all new staging. It's all sitting in our warehouse. We've got everything ready to go. And then I get this crushing news that a year of international touring, a world tour that was planned is done essentially until further notice. So my instinct when I'm hearing that is, dude, we, no one is going to do that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, cause originally I didn't really have yeah. the foresight. And then it was a matter of weeks after that, where we started to think, well, actually, you know what, if we do it right. And if we do this, or if we make that, we can make it really cool. And then I think everyone kind of started down that path. And then now you get to the point where there are these same companies are offering these kind of full inclusive packages. But I mean, again, like you said, there is the reality of, and the reason I asked about the pre-recording thing is that a lot of bands, we have done live streams and a lot of bands are pivoting to, you know, doing like we've done a couple number of years ago, we did a live DVD and it was great. And uh, it was a lot of fun and the fans really enjoyed it. And we are now looking at our, our live stream experiences more from that perspective of how do we put on a concert that has all of the looks and feels of maybe not a, a full scale black Blackville show with pyro and everything else like in the DVD, but something that's, interesting or an interesting lighting or the cinematography yep. is cool or you're making it an experience as opposed to the way that we did the first one which was live feed 10 cameras a guy with a button cutting from camera to camera the way that you would do a television broadcast of a live thing you're not getting now we're, we're trying to do something that's a little bit more cinematic and i think that you're seeing kind of that fork in the road where bands can kind of go either way yeah but that first yeah. one you did though was still cool for me because it gives you an opportunity to watch the show. What I couldn't stand for years and years and years is these bands putting out these live DVDs that were like live with a bunch of other nonsense. Now I'm all for interviews and all the extra stuff, but put it in as bonus. Don't cut into the middle of the freaking song and have someone voice over part of the song that you're playing. Uh, the Motley Crue DVD in 2007, which was the... Um, carnival of sins or whatever they called it that was the first band i can think of in a long time that actually put out like a full live show since like the animalize and things like that so I, I think you shouldn't also cut yourself too short i mean i agree with what you're saying obviously the more visually impactful you can make it the more memorable it is but at the same time i i can't tell you how many times i've watched that kiss in las vegas it's fun sure. to watch or the Billy Joel at, at Shea stadium. I got a whole bunch of those and that's what I enjoy watching in the evening. So for me, the pay-per-view is less, um, the New Year's Eve pay-per-view is less about that itself. And I'm more excited about getting it eventually on Blu-ray so that I can watch it over and over again. And well, I, I, I will say that, that that's at least for Blackville, that's our goal is to be able yeah. to release this as uh, at least this next one that we're doing as an entity that is downloadable. The hope would be to put it on DVD, like to have it be a thing that is uh, its own entity that you can purchase. And I, I would imagine given that we know Kiss, 
there's almost no chance in hell that this isn't turning into something that they can, you know, sell in different capacities down the uh, line. Yeah, I mean, that, 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 be a lot of fun. that there, there, there's, yeah. there's definitely a lot of questions amongst, amongst the fans as to, you know, in the various levels of the VIP packages, is the vinyl album, is the Blu-ray DVD that they mention exclusive to those packages? Is that the only way you can get a DVD of the show is by spending $1,000 for the stream? No. I, I I don't know for sure, but I would like to think that what you're going to get in the VIP package is some special edition, but there'll be a consumer, there should be a consumer one released through Universal in 2021 where they can just, you know, yeah, you can just go to Best Buy and go get the Kiss DVD, or you can go to Target and get the vinyl, or Walmart and get the vinyl. And if they're smart, they'll do it like the new Eagles release, where you can buy the double live album and it comes with a Blu-ray. You know, that's right. what the kind of, to me, that's the out-of-box thinking, because if you're already making these things anyways, why not give, give them a bundle, make it a box set? I don't care, whatever it is. I'm sure that the vinyl and some of the things they're offering in the thousand will definitely be exclusive. But, you know, if you just want the record because you like listening to, to vinyl, who gives a shit if it's, you know, colored vinyl or not, you know, I, just as long as they make it available. Andy, when you, when you do a, a, are thinking of like a live stream event, are you thinking this is more for diehard fans because obviously when you're doing a tour there's a mixture of the casual music fan who just knows you from your hits and then you've got the diehards who are like you know like kiss fans are don't ever play rock and roll all night ever again you know i want to hear you sure. play the elder how do you approach it are you looking at it that the set list needs to be a little deeper because it's a live stream and you're probably getting more true fans I think as we go down the line, at least for us, the first one we did was a 10-year anniversary. We, we played the first record from front to back for the first time. Three or four of those songs were never played live in any capacity. So that was a, at least for the diehards especially, this is our first record. This was not our first major label record. Not everyone that's a fan of the band necessarily knows or has a deep level of love for that record, or maybe they found it after the fact. So that is more directly oriented to kind of the idea of the diehard fans. Um, but I think what you're seeing is, at least for us, the expectation going into the first one was, this is the, again, I said the Wild West, this is a new frontier, whatever you want to say. We don't know what the audience is for a live stream back in August when we did the first one. You know, we don't know statistically how it's going to look, how many people are going to do this thing, all that kind of stuff. But once we've now had that as kind of a, a benchmark to look at is what you can extrapolate off of that, what your numbers might be. We've looked at this next thing we're doing as we want to do a show that is now, because we've done a whole record front to back, we want to do a show that is similar to the type of set that you would see us play on uh, a festival or a headline tour where we're, um, maybe because again, we, we're trying to keep things kind of in that hour range for a, a live stream because uh, the ones I've watched that kind of go into the, what would be our normally our full headline set would be, you know, hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes, whatever that is, two hours those feel like they go a little long for a stream. So we were looking at it like we wanted to do a solid hour of basically just the hits and throw in a new song. And then the rest of it for us is, if you know the band name Black Bell Brides and you're watching this thing, you have heard every single one of these songs and we'll be happy to hear them. As we go along, I would think that we could start to throw in a little bit more 
uh, deep cuts or whatever it is. But I would anticipate as far as the KISS thing goes, if this is a, a KISS party on New Year's Eve and they are trying to get people to watch this thing, my best guess is that you're looking at a greatest hits set list. I don't think yeah. we're going to hear rock bottom or anything oh, yeah. in this. But, you know, who knows that maybe down the line, if the KISS cruise continues to not be a thing or whatever it is, maybe they start doing these things. And maybe, I mean, pie in the sky, who knows? They could do a thing where they're playing Dynasty and wearing those costumes and it's a stream only event. You know what I mean? Like whatever it is, they could maybe go down that, that path. And that's something that we've talked about is, you know, every year on the anniversary, could we consider doing, you know, now it's the 10 year anniversary of the second record. Should we dress in those costumes and do that? Like, who knows? Maybe that's something that you could do down the line. And it's certainly something that Kiss could do. Uh, and and obviously it would be hugely uh, yeah you know I I, th I think to your point Kiss is testing the water here this is their first paid live stream event they don't know what the sales are going to be they don't know the makeup of the fans that are going to be watching it you know is it just casual people just you know hanging out on New Year's Eve and they want something on in the background or is it going to be nothing but the diehard fans who are going oh my God this is the coolest thing and and based on what they learn out of this show yeah i think it would be pretty interesting that all of a sudden sure we could do uh, a live stream once a month of each album starting with the first album because now they've got a baseline to know here's how many we could sell here's what we can get away with you know and that that gets back to that whole everybody's learning about this business now yeah the music business has been around for a long time but the music business with zero touring has never existed before. I mean, you might have had something where it was regional to a certain country or a certain state or something like that, but you've never had it across the board where, you know, the Black Veil Brides can't leave the country. Nobody can leave the U.S. to even go do a tour. Or if you could you might have to quarantine for two weeks in that other country. So how do you do a tour right. when you can't leave another country for two weeks? So that's what's so challenging about this whole mess we're in right now. You just can't open up. You can't just say, screw it, we're, we're fine. Only a few people are going to die. I mean, that's not acceptable, at least. In, in well, but even as you said, Mike, from a, from a purely, if you even remove the, 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 human elements i mean it which sounds weird to say but even if you just look at it from a purely a purely financial cold financial way of looking at things the liability insurance alone as you said is is cost prohibitive for a lot of these venues particularly on the smaller side say house of blues down to even open even if they were to be so brazen as to want to open right now anyway yeah. you know what i mean there's not it's not even possible and that's worth a mention because the Look, I joined in and Andy and, and Michael were already talking about this stuff before we started to record. And we said, we're going to go back to this. Michael, I think it's worth taking a minute and going back through that list of some of those things you, were, we were, you guys were talking about earlier, just so the fans can understand from the business side. This isn't a poor me or, or a woe is me thing. This is reality. So when you, you, you hear someone say on the news that, oh my God, by Christmas day, we're gonna be handing out you know thousands and thousands of vaccinations. That doesn't solve the problem. It's not like the light just goes back on. So can you talk a little bit yeah, about well, that? You know, I, th I think the biggest unknown that most 
fans in general don't realize is this liability insurance. Now, liability insurance is something every business has to have on this planet. You can't open up a restaurant if you don't have liability insurance. You can't open up a retail shop. You know, bands, you can attest to this, when a band goes out on tour, you're going to have to have insurance. You've got to have insurance to protect the band in case... Anything, a crew member gets injured, a fan. Now there's different tiers. You have insurance for the crew. You insure the vehicles. You have damn insurance specifically for the truck that carries the staging. You know, there's different levels. And those are, again, as you're getting to, those are, those costs are, are not fixed. They change based on circumstance. They they change on circumstances and they, they change and, and, and to go along with them, they all will have requirements. If you want this insurance, you've got to do A, B, C, and D in order for us to issue you a policy. And, and I remember earlier this year, um, a venue up in Canada was, was talking about how it was just a bad coincidence. His liability insurance was up for renewal after COVID hit. Well, the insurance company, because of COVID, tripled liability insurance because there's a greater risk of of something happening because of covid and you know it was a question of whether he could even open the doors because of the cost of insurance going up so much he was able to do it but this leads to the fact that yeah before before black veil brides can go back out on the road before live nation can book a tour what are the insurance ramifications that are going to be falling down on all of these people? Because Live Nation will have insurance, Black Bell Brides will have insurance. What are the rates going to go up to? Because you know they're not staying the same. You know, pandemic hits. You know, will they not even issue insurance to cover COVID? That could be the case where you're left hanging out there. And just because the back of a ticket says, you waive the right to sue somebody because you got COVID doesn't mean somebody still isn't going to sue. There's still, sadly, there's plenty, there's plenty of lawyers out there looking to, you know, oh my God, live nation, deep pockets. Let's do a class action lawsuit because 10 people at this show came down with COVID. Oh, but they waived their rights. Doesn't matter. We're going to prove they were negligent on it. If you don't have insurance, that could literally wipe out your business because the cost. Yeah, I, and I'll say this: just as as you're talking about it, um, you know, there is all of those things are true also of the live streams, the yeah. individual days, the rehearsal days, the days that it's that it, the actual day that it's filmed. Um, all of that stuff is, and I can speak just from our experience, which is obviously a smaller scale than the largest production in the history of time on a beach somewhere. You know what I mean? Like just even on a smaller scale, that's a week or at least of rehearsals. So then you've got multiple tests on a, a, either a daily or a bi-daily basis for everyone in the crew, everyone in the band, everyone at the venue, the insurance cost of dealing with just those rehearsal days then you get into the time that you're actually at the venue or location or wherever you're shooting this thing. Those are supplementary costs that come in directly on that day. Then just because the, the legal element of it there, because these things are set in place, you have to then also have additional testing. So in California, we can get rapid tests and we have more testing availability. That's not the case in most states. So there would be no way, like there's no way right now 
just based on how it is to do one live stream that anyone, at least that I could think of, could replicate that on a several times a week basis across the country. And that is kind of what you're dealing with. Regardless of whether you can get one stream in or not every couple months, think of the amount of uh, just the, the kind of overall undertaking that it is for KISS to do this whole show with their giant crew, whatever kind of insurance they have to have for whatever limited audience they have, with all of the band members being uh, older men, th there yeah. is a tremendous amount of risk. There's a lot of, there's a tre tremendous amount of cost and there's a tremendous amount of undertaking to get all of that done for one time. So to try to extrapolate off of that and think of it on a consistent basis for what, uh, even if you did a truncated tour 30 times, like there, it is just at the present situation and the way it is right now, it is not even logical to think that it could occur without all of those measures in place and without looking at the idea of, well, now Live Nation and everybody else is saying you have to have that, that vaccine, right? So if you get the vaccine, then they, there are certain things that can, they can loosen the reins a little bit, at least according to what they've said. And you can, you can start to think that maybe people can get into the show if they have proof of that vaccine. For anybody to say, I'm not going to get the vaccine and still expect to go to a show, please consider all of those other things that are occurring to try to make that show happen. There's no way that they would ever be able to let you in if you didn't have it because you'd have to go back to a world where everything is so incredibly cost prohibitive that the show wouldn't happen in the first place. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, you got you to keep in mind, people, that, you know, okay, so we just talked about insurance, which is that probably the biggest financial nugget that's hanging over this entire industry right now. But you've got all the costs that are going to now have to be incurred either by venues or bands or both for how do you clean and sterilize every single night? How do you clean the LA forum? I mean, clean it so it's, it's, it's disease-free, not just mopping up some piss on the floor, but getting rid of every germ and every crevice at, at the LA Forum, which might have just had 10,000 people in it. And by the way, the reality is that from a, a practical standpoint, no one gives a shit whether you think that this is a real virus or not. Like that is yeah. not, there are people that will say, oh, it's not real or whatever else. And by the way, it's, it's you know, that is completely inconsequential as to whether from a legal and insurance standpoint as to whether things are going to occur. And that needs to be understood because if you're someone watching this video and going, I don't believe in that anyway, that oh, good for you. I mean, we you know what I mean? That doesn't matter in the context of whether a show is going to happen because from a legal and financial perspective, this is being treated as real. And personally, I mean, I, I don't see how anyone could see it as not real or people can talk about the severity of it or the, the um, you know, the, the survival rate and all that stuff. That is basically nonsense. It means nothing in this context. The survival rate being as high as it is does not mean anything when it comes to people trying to protect themselves from the inevitability of a difficult outcome that will put their business in a difficult situation. It is not about... Um, it's not about a political statement. It's not about any kind of, it's, it is about the, the, the facts and the facts are there is a pandemic happening and it's businesses everywhere are suffering due, it, due to it. Yes. And again, Tommy, like that's, you and I were talking about, that is a reality, but just from, as Mike's saying, just from a, a, a purely business standpoint, it is inconsequential whether someone believes that it isn't severe. It is severe enough that there are people who are taking their businesses and basically having to roll everything up and close down because of this fucking thing. So it doesn't, it's inconsequential whether you believe in it or not. Yeah, the yeah, shows I mean, are not going to happen. 
it, it, it doesn't matter because guess what? Those insurance rates are going up, whether you believe it or not. You could sit here and go, I don't believe it, but Black Veil Brides is going to have their insurance raised on them if they want to go out and do a show. And, you know, the, the general consensus is the first major step or hurdle to getting back to reopening. And I'm not going to say back to normal because normal will never be what it was on March 1st. It's going to be a brand new normal. Um, but is a vaccine. I mean, it, it, even from the general consumer the side, of the, from the consumer side, there's been a lot of industry polls done to, to concert goers of like, what's it going to take to make you comfortable to go back into a major arena with thousands of people? Vaccine. I'm not going back to a major event until there's a vaccine. Okay, great. That vaccine is coming. But that opens up a whole nother issue, which, you know, you know, the latest article just came out a couple of days ago, how Qantas Airlines in Australia has said they're going to require proof of vaccine for international travelers. Now, first of all, that's not happening today because there is no vaccine yet that anybody can get. But what they're saying is this is what they're working towards. And I would suspect part of what is driving Qantas and Live Nation and other venues and other businesses to go, we're going to have to have a vaccine to omit you, is it probably eases the, the insurance liability on them to be able to sit here and go, yeah, we will ensure that every single person who enters my restaurant, my nightclub, my bar, or the LA Forum has had proof that they've been vaccinated. Now, how does that happen? I don't know. There's multiple ways. I'm not getting into, is it legal? Is it constitutional? I'm just saying that's sort of where we are going. That's the step that is going to have to happen, I think, well, in order for things too, to open up more. And also, too, without getting too political, it's like, go to the CDC, read what they have to say about stuff. They're not putting shit in this vaccination to fuck you. All right, they're trying to control a pandemic. And I, for one, want to go back and see live music. I plan to see Andy hop on stage in uh, Download this next summer, goddammit. So if you guys don't want to be a part of this, great, don't be. But to Michael's point and to Andy's point, that's the only way we have any hope of getting anything close to normality again is to get together and figure this stuff out and go along with the program. I know some of you will be screaming at the screen right now going, my rights, my rights, my rights. It's like, look, all you gotta do is meet someone who's dying or has died from this thing. It's serious, it's real. And the thing that's scary is nobody knows why. You know, why does it attack one person this way and another person another way? I know two people that have been in the hospital this week. One of them, thank God, is recovering. And unfortunately, the other one that I don't know literally just passed away last night. And he was 65 years old, not overweight, not a smoker. You, there's nothing that you could say. He didn't have diabetes, none of that stuff. And here's his wife having to pull the plug after 48 hours because he went into cardiac arrest. Yeah. Nobody and by the way, that. regardless of whether, and not even talking about severity and not even talking about um, the the morality of it 
you can remove all of those elements and still look at it for what it is, which is that this is the only way that We're concerts are going to happen. This is mm -hmm. the only way that music's going to happen. So whether it is acceptable to how you perceive the world or not, again, and it sounds harsh, but it is inconsequential to how the business is going to move forward or not. And for us, just on a personal level or on a practical level, from, from the music standpoint, you know, my guitar player, Jinx, thankfully, he's on the mend right now and he seems to be doing better, but he got COVID. Uh, we were together around the time where they think he contracted it. So then that sense, obviously the first thing that comes to mind for us is, oh my God, that's terrible. Then the second thing is, we now have to test our everyone that's worked with us on our crew, everybody that works in the studio. We all have to get multiple tests. They have, we have to get multiple tests over a 14 day period where we have to isolate. That moves our entire trajectory of our month all the way back and our recording schedule and everything else gets pushed back 14 days because now we all have to self-isolate. He and his wife just had a newborn child uh, um, two months ago. He cannot hold his baby he has to be in a completely separate part of their home you know his his wife now is is basically now in a situation where she's trying not to get it she thankfully is tested negative there's just so many things that just on a practical level let alone the emotional or moral level that are made essentially impossible or made so much more difficult that it makes it impossible to where the industry is going to look at it from the practical standpoint and not the emotional standpoint as they always do in the same perspective that the industry doesn't give a fuck about the fact that you know artists and this is true mike you know this within all of our record contracts until very recently and when for all the years that we were with a major label there is a breakage fee built into your contracts in an era where there's nothing no, to break. there is no breakage yeah. How do you break and an MP3 that, file? I stepped exactly. on it. <laughs> but that's still in there because the industry sees it as a way to make more money. They don't give a fuck that it's criminal. It's just, yeah, that's just the way it is. So if you even want to look at it, and I, by the way, I'm not saying that it's criminal to want people to be healthy. I'm saying that you have to remember that any kind of industry is going to look at how you can do something practically and how they can make money off of it and how they can do it to be able to, to grow their business. So if a same industry of the music industry is willing to charge you for something that's impossible, they're certainly going to cover their own ass when it comes to you going to a show or not. And then extrapolate off of that, go back to the bands. We have to be able to protect ourselves from that. Live Nation announced that there is a very real possibility that there's going to be a 20% reduction across the board and pay for bands when touring does start. So, and then if there's a cancellation of any show for any reason that's on the band and not on the promoter level, it's a it's a uh, what a thirty percent payback where the artist has to pay the promoter or Live Nation thirty percent more of the or double the guarantee or whatever it is. Those are real things that bands need and artists need to feel protected from before they can go out and understand that there is a tremendous amount of planning and changing of things that go into that. You're going to see smaller scale shows. You're going to see smaller scale things anyway, uh, just by virtue of the fact that it's going to be the only way that you can do it. Yeah, I mean, from, from a financial standpoint, even even if things open up and they're like, oh, well, we, we, we can open up, but it's got to be 25% capacity, 50% capacity, that reduces the ability for the venue and the artist to make money to cover the costs of touring and a production. So does what does that mean? Does that mean you just scale back and put on a, a bare-bones show, or does that just mean 
we don't tour because we can't afford to tour there you know at the end of the day what what you're dealing with here what we started with is there are set costs it's the music business it's a business there are you're paying somebody to build a stage you have to pay them whether you play on that stage or not somebody's getting paid off of it and it's it's just it's going to be extremely challenging for everyone to move forward and move out of this and and as you said Andy it's just about being practical this is just about look we all want to get back to live shows that's we want that the bands want that the fans want that management the industry wants it this these are the steps that are going to have to be taken to ensure safety of the band to your point Gee, how would you feel if you were the one that gave Gene Simmons COVID because you went to a meet and greet and you didn't reveal a, a test? You know, the Kiss right. Army is going to squash you like a bug. You know, you know, the safety of the band, the safety of the crew, the safety of the fans in the audience, the safety of the venue workers, you know, that that poor concession worker who doesn't give a crap about the band, but it's their job in order to put their kid through college gets COVID because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. The point is, this is happening to protect and keep people safe, but on it, and rightfully so, it's also being done to protect the business because, right. you know, we get back to that whole insurance discussion. There's going to be somebody who's going to sit here and go, mm, Black Veil Brides, I think they're pretty rich. They don't know, but hey, it's a, it's a touring band. I'm going to sue them. Right. That headache alone, even if you've got everything covered, you're going to start paying hourly rates to a lawyer just to fight back and defend you and, and get this thrown out. Right. You've and got I to think, protect the business. And I think also, too, over time, if everything goes right, once they get the vaccine going, we start getting people vaccinated and we start to move towards this normalcy again. Some of these other things will just kind of wash away because they may not have to be as stringent about cleaning the LA forum. You know, there, there's so many different things that will happen. And I think that's where I think people get too upset because I understand reading these things that contradict one another, but quite honestly, no one seems to know yet. The only thing they know is that there's three different companies now that all have working trials for these vaccines and they're having about a 95% success rate. Hey, I'll bet on that all day long if we can get back to some live music. But before you guys jump on um, Facebook and start bitching at each other again, give this some thought. So I think the idea that that Andy and, and his his band um, is going to do something and they put out a single and that Kiss is doing a New Year's Eve thing and, and oh gosh, Blackberry Smoke, there's a bunch of different people doing stuff. Support it. Just support it. If, if you're a fan of that band, freaking support it. And by the way, obviously this is a KISS show and KISS exists at a different tier than the vast, I mean, they're the 1% of the music yeah. industry when it right. comes to right. um, the ability on a non-pandemic time to put on basically whatever the hell show they want to and do whatever the hell they want to do. And they also come from an era where that was more the norm. Throughout their career, they've been able to weather the storm because in many ways they got started during a time when what they were doing was in vogue and that they've kind of been able to ride that. And obviously 
tremendous and i've talked about this before and there's actually a whole fucking chapter in my book that's coming out about my experience and learning from kiss and everything else but one of the big things is they've been able to navigate these waters in a way that almost no one else has ever been able to do it we talked about that the last time i was on the show but regardless of their circumstance this is an industry that and this is not a woe is me thing i i I don't mean it to be that way and i hope it doesn't come off that way this is an industry where it is difficult for big bands to make a tour financially viable and still put on a big show you know and and so when that's already the basis you're you're only going to get more difficult from there when that touring can't even happen let alone putting on a big show and this is not by the way i don't mean this to be uh, a slight against your your guest last week i listened to the show the author um and yeah yeah, and he was and he was saying something that I feel is uh, a misconception that exists, but but for people that don't necessarily um, pay attention to what's happening now. And again, I don't know him and I don't mean to be critical, but what was said was something along the lines of, and it said several times that uh, back in the, in the old days, bands used to try to put on a show and now bands don't do that anymore. And why aren't there bands that do that anymore? And, and the reality is because it's not financially viable, more bands would want to put on a big show if they could, but most bands that are even bands that you've heard of, their top tier of their ability to be able to put on a show is putting some scrims on stage on Warp Tour because that's how they can afford to get from city to city because if they tried to put all the staging on the stage, regardless of how theatrical they are, it's not, cost, it's not uh, possible in terms of cost. So when a band is doing one of these live streams, particularly on a, on a lower level and trying to put some like impact into it and give you production and everything else, please understand that those are things that for many of these artists are outside the realm of typical affordability. And they're trying to put on a show that has that impact and is entertaining for you um, in a time where they can't do anything else. Well, yeah. And, and I think also too, it's important to understand too, that not everybody that's in a rock band, even from the eighties lives in a mansion like Gene or Paul. No, to, 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 Andy's, yeah. to Andy's point, Kiss is the 1%. 1%. A lot of guys, a lot of those guys I've talked to them, they, they have a one bedroom apartment, you know, in West Hollywood. And, 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 you know, they, they literally pay their rent because they can do fly out shows on the weekend and that makes them money when those shows stop, you know, they got no income coming in, you know, again, with Izzy Presley. Exactly. You think he'd live in a neighborhood that he can't get into? That you know the, these these musicians are having dinner with Izzy at Seven Eleven now. I mean, that's all they. Man, can I've been hearing about Izzy all these years. I, I don't know. I think I don't know that I've ever met him, but I've, through you guys, I know that he eats. You you want to go on? You want to you want to go on Izzy's show? We'll make it happen. It's, oh great! It's, yeah, it's I mean, I don't know anything about Seven Eleven pasta, but I will say this: uh, when I live, when I first moved to L.A. And I was 18 years old, living out of the back of my Cadillac that I was run down. I was living in the parking lot of Kmart in North Hollywood. My one food thing that I would eat every single day because I could afford it if I, and, and a lot of times they would give it to me when they were about to throw it away, was the, when they first introduced pizza to 7-Eleven. Uh, I would have a slice of pizza, which was, by the way, the most disgusting pizza in the world, but they, you could get this like like half a carton of ranch dressing and I would just dump the whole thing in ranch dressing. So I was just basically eating ranch dressing on like cardboard. And so that like, 
that I have fond memories. Like every once in a while, I'll be in a Seven Eleven and think, like, maybe I should get myself a slice of that for old times' sake. But you know, anyway, that's then, all then, I know. Then, of- then you realize how the rest of your evening went after you ate. <laughs> yeah. right? Well, you know, look, I was I was eighteen at the time, so it's a little different. You know, that, yeah. basically, you have the steel stomach at that point. There's yeah, no, exactly. You know. <laughs> well, I'll bring Izzy to a show sometime because this is something you have to see. I mean, it, we, uh, we, we, right. we, we, we love like him. We love him. He's yeah. a great guy. Well, you know what? I actually think I, I've seen him in person one time, and I don't have any confirmation of this. But okay. I'm, I, I, last year I shot a television series that I'm the lead in called Paradise City that is a follow-up to the film I did a couple years ago, American Satan. And we shot a bunch of scenes in the Roxy, and there were extras in the Roxy that were like rock fans at the show. And I saw this dude, he's like super tall. And I thought I recognized his face from seeing him on your guys' show. And I didn't, I, I, unfortunately I was filming, so I couldn't speak to him, but I think I have been in the same room as him before. But uh, he had like kind of uh, reddish long hair and mm-hmm. uh, was very tall. Yeah. Yeah, that's Izzy. Absolutely. Well, yeah, so he's, he may very well be in this TV series that I'm in as a, you know, as oh, a God, fan. Oh God, that'll go to his crowd. head. He'll think he's yeah. an actor now. Yeah, exactly. He'll be like, me and my buddy, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, uh, so, 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 Andy, Andy, what I mean, we kind of talked. Blackville Brides has got an incredible new single. I mentioned it. I don't know. It's last really week good. Or, or the week before. Um, yeah. Scarlet Cross. Yeah. I mean, fill us in. What's going on music wise with Blackville right now, then? Well, first of all, I want to say a little bit of a uh, it's not even a humble brag. I'm just going to brag because I'm so excited about it. But we just found out this morning that um, it's number four on the Billboard hard rock charts, Scarlet Cross. So, anybody who uh, download it and listen to it. Thank you very much. That's awesome. Um, you know, to be well, in, a, in, among the company of a. You, was that? You also, you also hit a, a streaming milestone too, didn't you? Yeah, we got feet? about uh, within the first six days, we had 1.5 million streams uh, between. Yeah, that's freaking uh, awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's, you know, for us, that's that's really exciting to be able to have new music that's out there. And so I that's my bragging done. I just had to do that because I'm, I'm excited about it. But um no, so we, we're putting out a new record called The Phantom Tomorrow. It is a, uh, I, I'm, as you can see behind me, uh, I am a huge comic book fan. Obviously my love of Kiss. Basically it's like, this is all of the things. We got Kiss, uh, the Bengals and Batman. Those are the kind of like the tenants of, of my fandom. Um, but so I've always been into comic books. A couple of years ago, I wrote a comic book um, called The Ghost of Ohio that was kind of this old world story about basically this ghost that is in Cincinnati in the early days and all that stuff. And I kind of got really excited about doing it. And then I decided that I really wanted to kind of come up with my own original story uh, that maybe I could write a record that would be not a, um, not a concept record in the sense that the songs are telling a, a scripted story where like, you know, like the elder where they're like trying to say what's happening right. through the song, but more of yeah, something where that. yeah, the music would be, um, we've done a lot of like we've had songs in the Avengers and a number of other films where they would do soundtracks with with songs that are inspired by or similar vibe to what the film is. And so I thought, wouldn't it be cool to do a record that feels almost like a soundtrack to a story? And that doesn't that you can you don't have the restraints of writing a concept record, but you can do something that has this kind of ornate over the top thing. And and for me, it all boils down to like my main interests in music have always been obviously Kiss. But also, I'm a huge fan of like, you know, Meatloaf's Bad Out of Hell record. I've always loved that, mm-hmm. and I love things yeah. that are very big and and obviously being in a band that has 
extremely talented musicians like my guitar players and my drummer and my bass player and all of the guys that are in the band are just incredible musicians so we can kind of I'm the least talented member of the band so it's nice to be able to have these guys where like I can I can be like hey can we do this and then they can pull it off um to do all this kind of ornate crazy shit and so that's the plan is to uh to release it uh you know we, we've kind of got some stuff that we're going to be announcing about the release of that but it's just it's really exciting and and the fact that there's been such a response in a time where you know uh, as I said to you Michael before we started I haven't really been able to do my job for nine months almost you know and so we've just been head down grinding in the studio every day doing what we can to make new material and, and to write new songs and to do stuff that is for us when our opinion material that is um extremely uh exciting for us and you know everybody always says this this is the best record we've ever done or everybody always says oh it's like this record or this record i'll just say this we are getting along better than we ever have as a band and we are having more fun than we've ever had and i think that that will show in the material i think that what we're doing is um, it will reflect how much enjoyment we're having in making this record together. And I'm very excited that the people seem to be responding to it. And it already does. You can tell. And, and I think that's one of the one of the, uh, the homework questions we should have for people is go out and listen to Scarlet Cross. You can find it anywhere, YouTube, whatever. Listen and watch and then give us your opinion. You know, open yourself up to some new music. I mean, I certainly know the bass sounds better now you know so, so well hey thanks man I'm, I'm just i'm so i'm just so happy that that there has been that level of like people genuinely going like this era of the band is so exciting because you know with anything we as kiss fans know that there's changes and eras and band members and everything yeah. else and for people to go immediately like fuck yeah this is great we're into this um that's a great feeling because anytime you're in a new stage in the band's career you're kind of w walking on that line and going like, how is, you know, how's it going to, how's it going to be where how people are going to react. And uh, yeah, it's super positive. And then if I can continue my plug fest here, oh, go, uh, for it. go for it. I'm, uh, I'm putting out, as I said, uh, my first ever book. Uh, it is essentially the first I'm, I'm, I'm turning 30 in a few weeks and it's the first 30 years of my life. And it's essentially because um, I, I always felt like in many cases, these, these rock star memoir books, uh, the first part of their life is often extremely distant memories that are glossed over or without any kind of detail. And the stories themselves about how these people came from a life where they weren't a rock star to becoming a person who plays music professionally and is known internationally, a lot of those things become um, small little bits of details because us as fans, we want to get to the part where it's, you know, when the wheels fell off and then they, you know, they had nothing right. and all the juicy stuff. And I've always thought, it would be interesting and fun to write a book from the perspective of being essentially being 30 and looking back at all the things that got me to this point and not have it be a salacious tell-all or all that kind of stuff, but more so just um, fun stories, honest stories, stories about times that I, I felt like I have fucked up or done something that wasn't great, times that I felt like I did something awesome and I'm, I wanna share how that happened. And more importantly, and the most important thing of anything is, uh, my story is not remarkable. My story is composite of many other people. And my story is one of a kid that grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, and was told from the minute that I stepped into school that I said to everybody, my favorite band was Kiss and I'm going to be a rock star, that that was not how it works. The people that where we're from don't become that, that there was no chance in hell that that would ever happen to me. That just doesn't happen to people from this town. And I was told at every, at, from every level that it wasn't gonna happen. And then I moved to LA and started a band and every single person in the industry from 
original managers to booking agents down the line said, it's not 1984. No one wants this kind of music. There's nothing to manage here. This isn't going to work. And it is just a story of wanting it and working hard a little bit more than the person next to you. When I open my voice and sing, I don't sound like a beautiful angel. I've had to cultivate my own voice and work for it. And I just want people to understand that rock stars and rock musicians are not shit from the sky. They are, they're by and large people that work really fucking hard. And if you take anything away from your fandom of, at least the KISS fans know this, but I want the younger fans of my band especially to know that there is nothing about me that you can't do. I'm very lucky that I got in this position, but I've also, I grew up learning from my parents that you work hard for what you want. And I want to share that with people, particularly the younger fans that we have. And so um, there's a lot about my experience and, and my love of KISS in the book. Um, there's a lot about, you know, if you're, if you're a KISS fan, there's a chapter and a half, two chapters that are just about, you know, how watching KISS VHS tapes informed my life, how their way of conversing and their uh, way of carrying themselves was essentially what I wanted to mimic. As a little kid, I wanted to learn words and, and to extend my vocabulary, not because I was interested in the intelligence factor. I, was in, I wanted to sound like Gene and Paul. I wanted to be like that in interviews. You know, right. and I wanted I wanted to be able to be the way that they were. I wanted to carry myself like them. I wanted I being a musician was about initially for me, like many people, I wanted to be like Kiss. I wanted whatever the fuck they were doing, whatever that means that they're on stage and look like that and act like that and have this. That's what I want to do. And so that path was led intensely by them. And um, there, yeah, there's a lot in the book about that. So if if. It'll be available everywhere December 15th if you're interested in all. Um, you know, it's it's just, again, it's it's hard for like a 30-year-old to be like, this is my memoir and I know everything yeah, about life. That's not what it is. What, what, it's what, just what, like, what's it's what's just the title? Experience. What's the title of the book? What's the title? Uh, they Don't Need to Understand, which is uh, what my dad used to tell me when I'd get home and be upset that nobody, you know, wanted to hang out. Nobody wanted to hang out with me. And I've told you guys before, my big interests when I was a kid, nobody, you know, I grew up in, in the 90s being the biggest KISS fan in the world. None of right. the kids at school cared about that. And it was frustrating when I was little because I wanted to start a band and I wanted to dress like Nikki and Gene and all my heroes and nobody else wanted that. And I was lonely as a kid. And so I escaped into my room and my dad would say, they don't need to get you. And the same thing goes from when uh, I would watch Kiss, Kiss Exposed when Gene would say, you know, it, they, you know something that they don't know. And that, that always resonated with me when I was a little kid because it made it okay for me to like this thing that nobody else did. And so, yeah, the book title is They Don't Need to Understand um, because when I was a kid, my dad would be like, well, fuck it. If they don't like you or they don't get you, do your own thing. And so I'd go in my room and I'd practice my bass or my guitar and I'd build stages out of uh, and there's a lot of pictures in the book of this. I used to build stages for my Kiss action figures when I was a little kid out of like things around the house, uh, Christmas lights, all that kind of stuff. And so that's what I would do. Every day I'd come home from school and I'd build my fantasy world. And I've just worked to try to make that fantasy world a, a real thing for the, the course of my entire adult life. And can now, you pre-order that right now? Yeah, it's uh, Rare Bird Books, Rare Bird Literature. Um, okay. I'm doing, uh, yeah, I'm doing virtual book signings coming up. Um, and that'll be out everywhere books are sold on December 15th. And then uh, obviously audiobook coming after that. Now, now, Andy, maybe you can confirm because people are saying 
there's like a full chapter dedicated to three sides of the coin in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That'll, no, that's that's in the uh, the second printing. That's in the my, my three sides. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, I want guys that I bring you guys up all the time, and I literally was talking about you yesterday, and I don't know if you want to put this in the show or not. And I again, I I don't mean to talk shit, but no. my producer is a huge Cleveland Browns fan and like me, hates the Pittsburgh Steelers. And one of the biggest writers that talks shit about both the Browns and the Bengals constantly, and is the biggest homer, is Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk or whatever the hell. Yeah, and we I had him up, on, that didn't I go too well. He was on yeah. your show, and I go, no. oh man. I go, I go, well, you know, he's a big asshole anyway. He was even he is. on my friend's show. <laughs> yeah. He bounced from the show. So uh, look, I don't know, Mike. I, I don't mean to talk shit, but you well, know, no, it's like, just you, you're a fan of the worst team in the history of the world, and you were a grumpus on my friend's show. So that's yeah. that's how that informs my opinion. Well, yeah, and that was the thing. It was just it was my idea to have him on, and, and he agreed graciously to come on. Now, some some of it was our fault because we just had technical problems. Like you wouldn't believe yeah. it was just one right after the other. But he, he was just I don't know. I I felt I felt like. I, if, if, yeah, if I, if I if I remember, he just didn't want to talk about Kiss. Well, I yeah, you know, like, I went back and listened to it because I was curious because now we were talking about it, and he was just talking about how Kiss isn't a good band and Paul can't sing and all this shit. And I was like, "Dog, what are you doing? This is yeah, the wrong yeah, audience exactly. for this." <laughs> well, and, and I want to. I'm gonna. I'm going to um, tout you a little bit, and it's not because Andy and I are friends this new song and the stuff they've been doing for the last several records is really good. And I liken it to Alice Cooper. For those of you that are going to be chicken shit here and don't want to take a chance on someone who's going to turn 30, uh, that's making rock and roll, but get out there and give it a try because like how Alice Cooper was the first several records. I'm not a big fan of same with that first four or five Elton John records. And then all of a sudden these artists start to hit their stride because whether you know it or not, or you're aware of it or not, Andy, you're, you've been very lucky with the different record labels you've had that have given you a chance to change and oh, grow. And I think some of it's your age too, but this stuff is really good. It's very cheap trick with a heavy edge. The melody is there. Like Alice Cooper's like, great, you look cool, but where's the song? The song is here and you guys need to check it out and just open your minds and forget that he's 30. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you. And I will say, I do want to say the, the real credit belongs to the fact that while we were shot down at every, and again, this goes into the kiss thing while we were shot down at every level from the inception of the band. I mean, we were on the cover of Kerrang once that said the most hated band in the universe. Uh, you know, with, there was, for, for, for a while, yeah. Blackmail Brides was like right there with Nickelback. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's the thing. But we, despite all of that, the fans showed up and made it so labels didn't saw fit to, to let us continue. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I once talked to, we're now with a fantastic label, Sumerian Records. We, we've worked with Ash Albertson for years and years. We're so happy with our home. We were with Universal for a number of years, and while we had good relationships, they just never really understood what we were. And, and that, that relationship kind of came to an end to where it was kind of, you know, it was one of those weird things where the conversations were like, man, we had some good times, but you know, like everybody's kind of agreeing to leave. But I remember in that conversation, I was like, well, you know, we, and this is maybe saying too much, but there was a time before the end of our contract that we asked to be dropped before the last black Bell record, because we just felt as if, um, you know, we were going to be in a situation where we were at a label that wasn't going to promote the record adequately. They didn't really understand what we were. And 
they said that the reason why they wouldn't do it was because we had the highest VIP numbers of any band because of any, and that's including like their large scale artists and that our fans were so rabid that it wasn't worth dropping us. And that goes 100% to the fans. The fans essentially kept us on a major label for years, even though we were actively trying to leave because they were so excited about the band and gave us this opportunity to go from being a more screamo oriented band to a more hard rock oriented band. And through that, we've had these fans that stuck by us to give us 1.5 million streams in, in six days. You know, that's that's an incredible situation in an era where rock and roll is often subjugated and not seen as the cool thing. To have that young audience and the turnover of age where people just keep getting into the band, it's a huge testament to the audience. And a band that, like you said, Michael, has historically had its, its fair share of haters, to have that kind of fan support is unbelievable. And they have propped us up. They have knocked down the doors. They have made it so people couldn't deny us or ignore us. They've put us on main stage at download you know, right before Kiss. They've done all those things. And a lot of bands say that. And a lot of artists say, if it wasn't for my fans, I wouldn't be here. I can genuinely say that if it wasn't for our audience, we literally wouldn't be doing anything that we're doing now. You know, it, it's interesting because that sounds exactly like how I would describe Kiss. Exactly. That's Kiss's career That's from 1973 right on. It was the fans that kept them with a deal it was it was the fans that were at the shows you know the labels didn't quite understand it initially well let's put it this way the labels haven't quite understood kiss ever yeah still don't still again don't. it's always it's always these critics because the fans see something that the critics don't for good or for bad and that's always how it's been and you could say that about any form of art you know, and I've never understood why so many people think they can just put something in a box. I was watching a documentary the other night on something. This is a huge world. You guys probably both know about. I had no idea that these guys, and I want to say it's out of Texas or something, have reinvented um, pop posters. And now they're making them for classic films that we all grew up with. So they're taking, you know, like Dracula with Bella Lugosi and doing these really cool screen prints and working with the different movie companies to create this brand new thing of art. And it's like, I love how they're reimagining it in the same way that Black Veil Brides is reimagining rock and roll in a different way than maybe what's popular right now, like you said, with the hip hop artists and, and the, um, all of the female artists that are doing extremely well. You don't have to all be that way, or you don't all have to be like the Allman Brothers or whoever you choose. There's room enough for everybody, but you got to be able to go out and, and support people or it ain't going to happen. Well, I, I mean, I would say this as far as the viability of rock and roll, you know, the, the, the truth of the matter is that you know, this record was panned by all critics and the label didn't give a shit about. You know what I mean? The one that's behind me, that is, yeah. but the fans made that happen. The fans make all of this happen and the fans have put us in a position where we have a viable career in 2020 as a, as a hard rock band. There are people that don't necessarily understand it because it's not right in front of them. I always laugh when people say that hard rock doesn't exist or there's no rock anymore or where are the rock stars? I feel like it's the same as like, you know, I'm a big Bengals fan, right? And we're a terrible team. Um, you know, uh, let's say Tommy in the worst season, and you guys are from Minnesota, let's say the worst season of the Vikings, right? 
So let's imagine that we're two people that all we ever watch is the worst era of the Vikings playing against the worst era of the Bengals. And then that's what we watch every Sunday. We don't watch any other football games. And then we turn off the TV at the end and decide and pronounce out loud, man, there are no football teams that are any good anymore. And all we've ever watched is those two teams that are terrible or whatever else. You, you yeah. have to be able to really look outside the realm of, of what you see and understand. And I've talked about this before when I've come on the show, there is a heartbeat and a viable like world of hard rock, heavy metal, melodic rock, yeah, all this so stuff much. that exists out there. It's so just much. people Absolutely. don't see it because it's not, it's not pushed in front of you. And the reality is that nine times out of 10, the radio stations that you're listening to are not playing it. Now I will say this, that has grown more and more recently. I've noticed a huge uptick in what they call active rock radio playing current artists uh, more so than maybe in the last 10 or 11 years. I do, I do a, a, a show on an iHeart station in Cincinnati. I do the Bengals pregame show on an active rock station there, WEBN. And my, what I do in my shows and the playlist that gets sent to me by the iHeart affiliate, I would say at least half of that. Yes, there's your Led Zeppelin and ACDC and all that stuff, but at least half of that is modern artists, whether it's you know, shine down or hailstorm or whatever else. So it's out there. That's it's it's viable and it's out there. And the fans make it happen. And Tommy, you know this because you go to shows all the time. It's fucking huge. Shine down plays arenas. Hailstorm plays arenas. There's a yeah. huge audience for these bands. I think it's it. What it is to your point is people have turned a deaf ear to it, and it's starting to open up now because I think we've crossed that bridge for the lack of a better term, where like here in Minneapolis and Michael and I have talked about this a lot. We have several different radio stations, but the one that's been here forever is KQ 92. That has been the classic rock station forever. 50 years, number one with a bullet. They're finally not number one anymore. And 93X I think is rating much higher than they are. And they play Black Veil Brides and Shine Down and Hailstorm and In This Moment, along with Metallica and, and stuff like that. People are finally, I think, getting to the point where they don't want to turn on the radio station and listen to Led Zeppelin or those people have maybe stepped to the side. And it almost took that kind of a shift in music to make a difference. And that's the other thing too, that I find really odd about this whole thing is when I'm shooting a festival, like if I do country fest with all these acts from people who are just getting signed to headline people like Luke Bryan, no one shows up to watch anyone till the last two at night whoever the two top headliners are. I mean, there are people the odd that they're in all of the different places watching these different bands, but then you do um, the uh, rock fest, which is the same place, but all metal. And man, they are there all freaking day long. And they're going to watch the first band that starts at 11 in the morning. And they're going to be there at the very end at 11 o'clock at night when Slayer goes on. Yeah. I mean, then, it's true. That's a big difference. It's true. And I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about rock. I'm passionate about hard rock music. This has been the, you know, the, the, the musical passion that I've had since I was a kid. And I just, I get frustrated and, and I, I don't mean to sound as if I'm not deferential to the icons because obviously, you know, I'm on a Kiss show talking to my friends here about Kiss. I, yeah. I, I have, I, the, we are influenced heavily by those bands, but the reality is rock and the viability of rock is is about that kind of innate feeling that we have of the rebellion and the wanting to sing along to something and the wanting to put your fist in the air and all that stuff. And that exists regardless of timeline 
or when you enter the equation as far as a rock fan. And there are bands that are just as valid for different generations. You know, to yeah. to our audience, you know, we we represent a certain type of rock music that maybe was represented by a band like Kiss or Motley Crue and to previous generations. It doesn't mean that they're mutually exclusive. And right. for us to be able to have those opportunities to, you know, I'm so fucking excited for this summer to hopefully happen so that I can get back on stage and play before Kiss plays and then hop around and watch them from the side of the stage. You know, like that's right. that's the really exciting stuff to me. But I do, I will always be out here kind of flying the flag and, and, and you know, cheering for modern rock music because I think that it doesn't get its due with a lot of people who are dyed in the wool, classic rock fans don't necessarily understand that, you know, and, and there's a lot of things that, and I don't want to, obviously I know we're, we're going long here, but I don't want to get into no. it too much, but there's a lot of things that people say that are just hugely inaccurate. You know, people will talk about nobody plays bluesy guitar anymore, or nobody has any heart, or where are the guitar heroes, or all this stuff. And it's like, it's like wearing a blindfold and then saying you can't see anything. Like you, what you're doing is not looking for it and then making these pronouncements as if you have any knowledge of it. And well, it's, it's frustrating for all of us that are trying to climb our way up to, to get to that level. Well, you know, and, 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 and it doesn't help when, you know, people like Gene Simmons constantly love to spout rock is dead. There's no rock stars sure. anymore. It's just like, shut up. That's just not true. I mean, I know there's, you know, especially the older demographic, there's a lot of hatred for Spotify. But I'm going to tell everybody right now that when it comes to discovering music, which you, you, you mentioned that sometimes it's hard to discover new music out there. Um, if you use Spotify and you use it a, a lot and it learns what you listen to, trust me when I say you are going to end up discovering so much new music that you bands you've never heard of music from bands you have heard of because it knows what you like and it's going to give you this playlist every freaking week discover weekly and release radar and it's constantly filled with stuff where i'm like man i forgot about that band who's that band or i'm you know i put the music on in the background and i hear this song and i'm like oh, i gotta go back and who is that that's really yeah. good. So, I mean, give Spotify its credit and its due people because it is an incredible tool for discovering new music. I have, you know, I, we always talk on the show how, like, you know, we used to discover music because back in the 80s, we'd go to the, the, the local head shop and we'd buy Krang magazine and we'd read Krang magazine and oh they mentioned this band called Accept. Well, I've never heard of them. Let me go see what it is. I feel like Spotify has now become that exciting and cool for discovering new music. And listen, it doesn't if if your love is not hard rock, although I don't know why you would be a Kiss fan and don't love hard rock, but if you love country or you love pop or whatever, it will work just as well for you. I mean, it's 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 such a great tool for fans to find music and to find bands. I just constantly I'm finding new bands. I'm like, oh, OK, I'm heading over to Facebook. I'm liking their page. Oh, let me go see their tour dates. It's it's such a great tool. And I can't encourage it's also a fantastic to resource to make sure that if you're if you're even tangentially interested in something, um, say you're listening to a podcast or you're watching something and a band is mentioned that you don't know a lot about or yep. haven't heard of, you can go there and listen to it and you're you're not 
for, you don't have to commit to buying a record, but you're also not stealing the music from people. Because, you know, the exactly. other option in the past would have been, oh, I'll download a torrent or whatever it is that people did to get it for free. And then you're not, the artist is seeing nothing. Now, the reality is, and, and everyone knows this, that the, on a financial level, Spotify is, is not great right. uh, for the artist. But at the very least, as an outlet, it does, some money theoretically does trickle down to the artist at some point. Those royalties are there. So if you're interested in something and you have an account, you can utilize that constantly. I can give examples of, there have been times where I've listened to your guys' show and I was unfamiliar with an artist or maybe you're interviewing somebody who was in you know, New England or something like that where I wasn't familiar with the artist. I could then go and listen to a song or two that's at the top of their list of the best songs and find out whether that's a band I'd, I'd be interested in getting into yep, right. as opposed to buying the record or some of these bands don't have a, a, a YouTube presence. There's no music videos. So it's best to do it that way, you know, and, and I, that's, I use that all the time. So I think you're right. There is a, because it's, it's new and different. I mean, look, the reality is the demographic in terms of age changes what the reality is for purchasing. ACDC just sold 110,000 copies first week of a record in a time where, I mean, you sell 6,000 copies and you're in the top 10, generally speaking. You know what yeah. I mean? So that's because the demographic skews to an age where people want to purchase physical media more. And there's availability of the physical media more for those artists. I would love to be able to have more physical mm. media, CDs, records, whatever else. But it's, it's a bigger gamble for what is a younger band's label to produce to the level that an ACDC's label would do right. because you know that the ACDC audience is going to purchase that physical media. You know that the KISS fans are going to purchase that physical media. A lot of labels don't want to take the risk on the physical media sure. for a younger band because the audience skews more towards the streaming side. So that changes also the, the, the shift in like, what does sales mean anymore? You know, this whole idea that, was it like 1500 streams constitutes a sale or something like that or something around it is i feel that the whole model is changing in terms of the significance of sales figures and we're getting into this period where i know us as artists we have kind of accepted that the royalty rate for music is going to be what it is and we hope that as it moves forward people like our attorney dina lapolt is working with congress and trying to pass laws that will get the artists and the songwriters more money for the art that they have right. um but at the time those options, and I want to give this from, from the horse's mouth, so to speak, as a, as a recording artist, those are viable options right now. And you're not, you're not stealing from the band if you stream the music. You're stealing from the band if you steal the music. You know right. what I mean? It, right. it, this is an option right. that still is, is a thing that could potentially pay the band in some capacity and there's royalties there. And you get the benefit of listening to music. And I know a lot of, you know, I'm friends with a lot of artists who are older musicians, whether it's Dee Snyder or whatever else, who are generally speaking against the, the streaming type stuff because the royalty rates are so much smaller. And I don't mean to put words in Dee's mouth, but no, no. you know, I've seen him say things like that in the past. Yeah, And I get it, but from my perspective, our audience lives so much in that world that that's just a reality. Well, that, that's the, to, that's the thing, you know, for the younger bands, you've got the younger fans. This is the world they, they, they live in. They never grew up some, you know, it's, this is hard to believe. Some of these fans never grew up shopping Tower Records. Never. Right. Never. Now, you know, I grew up every Tuesday going to that record store and flipping through the aisles and looking and buying and buying and buying. Um, but that's that's long gone. That's history. That's yesterday. You know, in this day and age, the younger fans, I mean, you know, my daughter, seven years old, she's really just starting to now get into music and listen to it. How's she doing it? It's all YouTube. 
all YouTube for somebody like her. You know, she yeah. might she might tell, um, you know, Alexa to play something every once in a while, but that's still streaming. That's yeah. a, that's streaming. So the concept of 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 a CD or a vinyl album, she's clueless. Yeah, no. I will idea. say this though. I, I do want to bring up. It was it was surprising to me, and I just I mean I don't know if this is uh, uh, any uh, this is an anomaly or what it is, but we sold out of both the first and second pressing of our ten year anniversary re release of our first record within like less than an hour, uh, and I was shocked because it's vinyl. You know what I mean? There is still people like that physical product. They I don't I, know if I, even I, playing I, it. Well, that that's the thing. I think generally. Most people are buying vinyl. I mean, I've got, I've got two of them here. I've got, you know, Ace Fraley's. You can't see it because I got my virtual background. I got Ace Fraley's Record Store Day, and I got Out to Get You Live '77 by Cheap Trick. I'm not going to play the vinyl. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I, I can listen to all the songs that are on here on Spotify. It's easier. It's more convenient. And I think I'm like a lot of people. I buy the vinyl for the collectible, for the feel of it. Sure. To, you know, if I want to support a band and I want to spend some money, I'll go buy the vinyl album because that's cool to have. Yeah. You know, but, I'm not listening to it, though. I'm not dropping the needle on it. I'd like to ask, though, people that are closer to our age group, when did discovering music end for you? Because to Andy's point, there are so many great bands out there. And where my experience or exposure came from is instead of my friend bringing over a record and going, check these guys out is at these live shows, these festivals. And for Mike, it's been on Spotify. So it's like, if you guys really love music and you're sitting here listening to us talk about this, and you have a passion for Kiss or Van Halen or Motley Crue or whomever it is. Why wouldn't you want to keep getting new songs? There's always being, there's always new songs being invented by new bands. There, it's not always going to be Led Zeppelin. In the same manner in which, look, I'm not a fan of, I'm not a huge fan of Zeppelin. I like them. Some of the stuff is great, but they just don't do much for me. But like Greta Van Fleet, all right? Not a huge fan of theirs just because it's similar. Not good or bad, but the hatred that people have for, for them is just mind blowing because it's like, oh, this is a Zeppelin ripoff. It's like, no, it's not. It's a, it's a new way of, of making music. That's, it. thank God, at least it's hard rock instead of more hip hop. We don't need any more hip hop artists, but we sure as hell need good solid bands like Black Veil Brides that will go out and give you, a, you know, a good show and, and release good songs. But that's not going to happen if even people like me and my age group go out and look for it. You know, and it is true. I want a physical product. If it was up to me, I would literally, like when your last record came out, I fucking went into Best Buy and there it was, boom, done, I've got it. I like that. And so yeah. to Michael's point, it's fun to have the vinyl, but man, you guys have got to get out and support these bands. Well, I, yeah, I think to, 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 your, to your question, when, when did you stop discovering music and why? Because for me personally, and I probably say this to myself once a month, I love when I discover a new band. It's like a Christmas morning for me yeah. when I've discovered a new band I've never heard of. And it's a song that I just play 12 times over in the next 24 hours. To me, that is the absolute greatest feeling in the world. And I know that maybe tomorrow 
I'll find yet another one or next week there'll be another one. And yeah, I'm very old school. I, you know, I got cheap trick on and I love kiss and I love electric light orchestra and everything else, but there's still such a great thrill when you find a band that catches your ear and you're like, man, I've never heard of these guys. Who are they? This is great. Do they have more music? I yeah. want to hear more. You know, how, how, how can, how can, a, how, as a music fan, I just can't understand how somebody can't have that thrill. By the way, I want to say this as, as a thing for streaming uh, on the Kiss specific situation. Uh, one of the most fun things about having like a Spotify account or something like that for a legacy band that has a huge catalog is the ability to make custom playlists based on your interests. Like I have, I literally have like the, the playlist that is, if someone's in my car that isn't a Kiss fan and I want to, I want to stump them and, and they'll, I want to see them bobbing their head to a song that they would, you know, and I've got all the, whatever it is. Or like, I have my most ridiculous Paul vocals, uh, Spotify mm-hmm. list, which is like my way and all these stuff, you know, and I've like all these different things, but also just the fact that I, every one of my favorite bands, whether it's Kiss or anything else, got all their records in my car. When I was, you know, I mean, I, I, I remember like having to try to shove the CDs or like you had the book and all that stuff. Like yep. it was kind of a pain in the ass when I was driving yeah. to high school. I'm like trying to find, oh, where's Kiss Alive 3? Or you know what I mean? Like, and then I've got the disc or it's all scraped up. Now at any given time, the thing, the thing I've been listening to the most recently is, uh, is Unplugged. And just because I have it on Spotify and then I'll open back up the app and I'll go, oh yeah, I'm going to dive back into that. I've been listening to that nearly every day uh, for the last like couple months. Yeah, so I mean, it's, just, to, to, it's great to have. To me, that, that, that's really what I love about streaming music is you can be sitting there going, oh God, I remembered this album from five years ago or 25 years ago, or you just heard something and, or you just got the feeling like, I just feel like I want to listen to Mr. Blackwell right now. Right. Boom, there it is. And you're playing it instantly because you're I think instantly I, disappointed by the song. Exactly. <laughs> you, 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 but, but you've got instant access to that song. And, you know, frankly, at the end of the day, and I've said this so many times, all that matters is the song. The music is what matters. It's, it's either a good song or a bad song. You know, the, vi- the cover, the vinyl, the inserts, that makes it all better and sweeter and more you know it's the frosting on the cake but at the end of the day it's either a good song or a bad song and i'm i'm all about that song i want to play that song because it always gives me goosebumps or it takes me back to some moment that i remember the cover doesn't do that it's the music that does that and also the song will pop in your head like the other day i was just doing something around the house and i thought I haven't heard dirty living in a long time. And I, you know what I mean? Like dumb yep. stuff will pop in your hand. And I'm like, I put it on as opposed to having to go find the record. But I will say, as a, obviously I'm a collector of shit. Like I like stuff. And I think we all do as Kiss fans. It's kind of part of it. It's like to have these things. I understand and would definitely encourage people to buy physical media if they want to have it. It's not like, and, and by the way, you can have both. I, for my favorite bands, when available, I always get the record day of and I listen on Spotify. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. Like that's the last two Kiss records. I mean, obviously with, with Sonic Boom, that was the only option, but uh, I've always, I go get the record and then I've got it and I maybe will listen to it or not. But like my car doesn't even have a CD player anymore. You know what I mean? Like, so where the hell are you going to use it? I, I, I joke, somebody made a post, I don't know, last week, like, do you still use your CD player? And I said, yeah, I use my CD player for my mobile phone holder in my car so I can play Spotify. 
<laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't, yeah. I don't play, I don't yeah. play the physical media, but you can just put it in there. <laughs> but, but you know, I will find a band. I fall in love with them. I play them over and over on Spotify. If I want to support them, which please support whatever bands you love, I will go out and buy the CD, or I'll buy the vinyl, or I'll buy a T-shirt, just so I can make sure some greater funds are going to the band as opposed to what the streaming services do. But, you know, I like to use Spotify as a way, again, to discover the artists. And then if I fall in love with the artist, you got to support them. And that means, you know, buying the bundle in their merch store. When shows come back, buy the concert ticket or just order the $10 t-shirt or order, you know, order the, the CD from them. Even if you've got it, the music already, and you don't ever open up the CD, that's fine by me because yeah. I did my bit to support the artist. I mean, we say this all the time about Ace Fraley. Thank you, Ace, for continuing to release music trick. over yeah. and over. Yeah, I may not exactly. love everything you release, and that's the right of a fan, but I will buy it because I want to support you, and I want you, the artist, to have as much support as possible so you can do another release. But there's yeah. one other really important piece that we can't forget to mention. There's also a huge win here for you. Just because I love, I don't know, Goodbye Elric Road, Elton John's album. Some of those songs take me back to, to childhood, but they give you that certain feeling. I'm discovering new music now that has just been put out over the last year that gives me the same feeling as stuff I've been listening to since I was a kid. That's the real win. And that's what you're really losing out on is by not trying to find new music, you're losing out on a whole variety of songs and never judge a book by its cover because like a perfect example for me is when the darkness came out. I heard that first single that they had. It just wasn't for me. And I kind of passed them off. And I, I've heard a few different things. And like, eh. and then they had a record that came out a year or so ago. And there was a single called Open Fire. Love that freaking song. And I listened, it's like on my top 200. So here's yeah. a song that was made just over the last couple of years that I love as much as something I've been listening to for 30, 40 years. Yeah. So you guys are losing out if you're not trying to find new new music. I agree. Hey guys, uh, before before we, we wrap up here, I wanted to know if we could do something since this is my third time on the show. I wanted yes. to know if I could ask you guys a question. Of course, since you have your your and, your, and, uh, no, and no, Vinny didn't save kiss. Okay, let's see. All right, so today is as we're as we're taping this. I believe it's I don't know the year number, but it's the anniversary of the passing of Eric Carr. And I was thinking yes. about this, and I I I wanted to know, and I don't mean this to be silly. I genuinely want to know how you feel. Did Eric Carr save Kiss? I, I honestly no. I think, I mean, if if you could say one person saved Kiss, it's Paul Stanley. Um, but even in that reality, it there's so you know every band, and you you'll know this better than any of us. It's bigger than one person. There's so much that goes into it. And there's not just the band members. It's the timing. It's the label. It's the management. It's the team you have that together could save a band and save a career. Um, did Eric save Kiss? No. Did Eric give Kiss an incredible shot in the arm? Yes. Without question, 
he gave Kiss the kick in the ass that yeah. brought their their drumming into the 80s to be competitive yeah. with everything else that was happening because you know Peter Chris was not going to be competitive. He was not going to be competitive during the 80s if he had stayed around. So you know don't you know and and Kiss fans don't take that as a shot to Peter or a shot to Eric Carr. I'm not dissing either of them. I just no, I don't think he saved Kiss. Um, Tommy? Well, I would agree with the one piece about Paul Stanley saving Kiss because Paul Stanley is Kiss. But I will say that Eric Carr was the absolute perfect member to join them because he didn't destroy my favorite band the way Vinnie Vincent did. There you go. Yeah. Well, the reason the reason I ask is because, you know, I, everything I've ever read about Eric is how kind he was and how um he was a fan of the band yep. uh and all that stuff and from my yep. personal experience Lonnie our new bass player is a black veil fan he's got a black veil tattoo um he you know he, he and he is so kind and just such the kind of person that everybody that meets him just thinks he's the nicest person ever and that for us in many ways at least for black veil has it is, as you say, it's a shot in the arm, and I think it saved us from the brink of maybe not being a band anymore. So I was just curious right. from your perspective, how much you think the emotional end of it and having someone who is not known as a big negative grumpus being your drummer, Massive. you know? I, 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 yeah, I think that's incredible, incredibly important. I mean, and, and as you were saying when you were describing the, the new album, it's like we, we're getting along better than ever. You know, we're having a blast. We're having fun. I don't think fans quite realize just how important all of that is for a band to put out great music it's hard to put out great music when you're just miserable because somebody else is making everything unhappy i mean i'm i'm dealing with one of my clients right now that that that's having internal problems and it's like it can just destroy a band i mean you know we saw that kiss was on the brink there's countless bands out there that that have gone that way so yeah when you get somebody in there who is just happy and doesn't push the buttons and doesn't have the an ego that's bigger than the band and understands what they're in i think it can you know it can take a lot of weight off of your shoulders so to speak it's like okay i don't have to worry about keeping peace in the band because we are at peace of course, and by the way, I don't know Peter, but we've all seen like the, or heard that rehearsal footage where he's yelling and everything, all that stuff, and you get the kind of feeling like maybe this guy was difficult to be around. And from the opposite right. end, all I've ever heard is that Eric Carr was a sweetheart. So well, I'm just yeah, curious. Yeah, I mean, and and it's funny. It's like people are like, you know, how come you you never say anything bad about Eric Carr, Bruce Kulick, Eric Singer, or Tommy Thayer? And we're like, they're they're like, you know, are you kissing nice their ass? People. And I'm like. Um, no, because as far as I know, they haven't done anything to piss people off. That's no, and, and, and That's Bruce, Bruce and Tommy are wonderful, kind, yeah. very nice people. Exactly. Yeah. How can I well, diss if, them when they haven't done anything to, to get pissed at? And to clarify my earlier statement, what I meant is, is when Peter Chris left the band, I remember that. And I didn't have a problem with a new member coming in. You know, and part of it maybe was because he felt like of the four, the the least important of the four from me, from my perspective. And I liked how they filled the position with a great drummer 
who didn't yeah. change the dynamic of the band. He just made it better or added to it. Whereas Vinnie Vincent, don't take anything away from Vinnie. I mean, he was nice to us and stuff. And he, he was a great songwriter. But he, him going into the band destroyed what that band was for me and took it in a different direction because of the way he played guitar. And we've had this discussion before. If, I, if they would have added someone that was more of a Punky Meadows type of player, I think it would have been much different in a better way, even if they use Vinnie Vince's songs, because you don't have to be, you don't have to have a band that has Eddie Van Halen in it just because Eddie Van Halen's a great guitar player. Because to me, I never looked at Kiss as heavy metal like I did, say, Metallica or another band like that. So that was the part for me that was so destructive is that just added to them chasing trends and being something other than what they are, which is just great songwriters who, who wrote material that was accessible to a lot of people. And it just, I don't know. I, I was grateful that Eric Carr was a part of it. I also wonder if the addition of Eric... And, and, you know, not to go down this rabbit hole too much, but I wonder if the addition of Eric brought them to the conclusion that the addition of someone like Vinny made sense. Because if you still had Peter in the yeah. band and his style of drumming, bringing a shredder in wouldn't make a whole lot of sense yep. because musically that wasn't going to work. But now that they have this big, powerful, heavy metal, you know, double, double kick, big ass kit, 80s drummer, bring in the shredder. You know what I mean? Like it just seemed like they all kind of like one move beget the other move and they and they kind of all went together and yeah i, th I think you're era. right i mean because basically it it allowed kiss to move into the 80s to to right. be competitive with what was going to be happening in the 80s because you know kiss from the 70s wasn't going to be able to go toe to toe with early motley crew and stuff like that you know the bringing in of a new guitar player and a new drummer allowed kiss to move forward we don't need to go into whether the 80s were good or bad that doesn't matter they survived they prospered they succeeded during the 80s whether you like the music or not they sold tens of millions of albums but then take yeah but that's that's all fine and well but then take a look at the song lick it up there's there's barely any guitar solo in that and here they've got this guy who's a shredder and they didn't use him like van halen or randy rhodes so that was always my argument is, is what would have been different if they would have had a very melodic guitar player like doug aldrich was on mm -hmm. our show that would have been freaking amazing to have someone like that in the band i think it was just the way that it just it, they turned into something that was too much like everything else and that's on gene yeah. and paul for picking well sure i i think i i think it's pretty obvious those first few years in the 80s gene and paul were lost the band was Ooh. lost, you know, when that makeup yeah. came off, especially Gene. I mean, he didn't know how to act on stage and then he was becoming a movie star. And, you know, now Paul's taking control of the band, the music climate and, and what people like is changing dramatically with, with Eddie Van Halen and Randy Rhodes. Kiss was for a period of time there lost, I think. Right. And, and right. just was just like, what do we do to survive the next year? Okay, well, we need to do this. We need to do that. You know, and, and you know, I think we all sort of always say it wasn't until Revenge that it felt like they finally found what the band needed to be yep. out of makeup. And unfortunately, then it just, that didn't I, last too long. I just wish they could have found Revenge in 1984. 
that. Sure. But I don't think, Tommy, I don't think it would have been possible because that no. wasn't in vogue. And we know that yeah. so much of what they did during that era was see what was happening and then make it into a KISS yeah, version. Sure. And that was what was so successful. I mean, I, I've said it even the last time I was on the show. I love revenge because I love the aesthetic and the music and all of it around it. But it's also just as much a reaction as all the other 80s albums. And it, the people always right. say, yeah, they say, oh, they finally remembered their sound or they found themselves. And in many ways that is true, but in many other ways, it is also the fact that LA Guns and Guns N' Roses and Pantera and all these bands were popular now and they didn't have to dress up like the Golden Girls and they could go back, yep. to, you know what I mean? They, they started <laughs> yep. to be, so the, the ability to find themselves was necessitated by the music scene moving into a place where they could do that. I think that, you know, the music scene, yeah. the music styles and kiss at where they were finally all met at, at the same time with revenge but you know tommy to your point sure would it have been great to have revenge in 84 of course but i don't think revenge could have happened without no, all of the, the albums leading up to it and, and I, look and i'm not against the songs or the albums that led up to it i mean i got into the discussion with bruce because he he said to me in the jeep on the way back from that thing that he's like what is it with you and the sound of those records i'm like where do i start you know it was it was the sound i love some of those songs on all of those records it was the freaking production that was just whereas it's, it's weird it's soft i mean my way in those songs they are they are very very soft in terms of the, yeah. there's not much punch to them and by the way i i too Love Crazy Nights, Mike. I, I'm with you it's on that. It's a brilliant uh, album. But, but there's the, great you know, songs on from it. a production level, I can get, I mean, it doesn't bother me as much, but I can get where you're coming from. But you've also said that about, you know, Unmasking the other records where there's a lot of keyboard yeah. heavy oriented stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like I want them to be the best they can be, which is Kiss. Just like that's the thing I've always loved about Cheap Trick. Yeah, they've tried a few different things and they found themselves like every other band does. But the one thing they haven't given up is who they are in essence. They are Cheap Trick. No one yeah, can do but, better. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's because of all of this variety that they've gone through that we can talk about them every week for nearly 10 years here because there's so much. I mean, could you imagine... At ACDC, well, gee, the new album sounds like the last album, which sounds like that album, which sounds like that album. And nothing against that because the new ACD, ACDC album is brilliant. But I just don't feel like there's quite the depth of controversy in the ACDC world. No, there's, no, there's just has. not. Tonally, tonally, everything is kind of down the line from the time you get the post Bon Scott era is kind of the same record to different degrees. And hardcore ACDC fans will see those distinctions with the more pop-oriented record yeah, that they sure. went to and, and all that kind of stuff. But they're, they're essentially the same. Whereas, like, you can listen to, like, We Are One and, uh, let's see, what, what's, what you know, We Are One and, uh, say, again, we'll go My Way and then we'll go um, uh, Mainline. And you go, this is the same band. To anyone that has never heard those songs, <laughs> yeah, they'll be like, they're gonna go, no you're way. freaking yeah. nuts. Yeah. <laughs> this is the same band. Like, th without context, you'd be like, what the fuck? Like, that happens all the time with me. Like, I'll be playing Kiss playlists in the car, and you know, my bass player Lonnie be in the car, and he goes, this is also Kiss? Wait, this is Kiss? Yeah. This is also like, and, and you know, because you go through the year. They, they're just the, the most uniquely varied band when it comes to the stylistic choices. And to me, the success of those stylistic choices. Like, I'm not a big fan 
of the Seattle grunge era. But I would say I, I, my favorite grunge record is Carnival of Souls because I get like, you know, I like two or three songs on there. I like Hate, I like Childhood's End. I, I like, uh, what's the one, the, the ballady song on that. So like, there's a so grunge the record that, that I like. You're the guy that well, it. <laughs> well, I'll say, I'll say this, I'll say this, that I, I did, I had the, uh, the, the demo version or like the, the leaked version right. when I was a yeah. kid. I got it at a record store in St. Louis when we were visiting my grandparents and uh, it had the head with the flaming like that logo. Yeah. And so yeah. when I was a kid, I thought it was just another Kiss record. I didn't realize like how contextually weird it was. I was just like, oh, right. cool. Yeah, you know, and that was the same experience I had with like the Peter Chris solo album. For me, I'm a kid. I'm just like, okay, well, that's just another freaking Kiss record. And I come to find out that people are like, no, it's freaking the music of Satan or whatever, you know. I wouldn't say Guys, my the music is dying Satan. right now, so I yeah, might have yeah, to. We, I might have to get you know, along. Yeah, like. we because we, we've been two and a half hours here. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Um, wife is probably like what in the and, hell Andy, is real quick, where where can people follow you and the band online? Uh, Blackville Brides. Uh, I mean, honestly, it's just across the board. There's uh, phantomtomorrow.com. You can get all the information about the new record. Um, Blackville Brides on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, everything else. I'm at, at Andy Black on all social media platforms. Um, AndyBlack.net. We've got tons of stuff out there. Basically, if you just search my name or the band's name, you'll find everything. The new song is called Scarlet Cross. It's available everywhere. And my book, They Don't Need to Understand, comes out on Rare Bird Literature on December 15th. Everywhere books are sold. You and that's it. Those your, are all my, that's my sales pitch, baby. You that's plug it. that and, uh, as Gene RIP Simmons. to Joe Burrow's leg. I just want to throw that out there to everybody. If we could all pour one I out know. for our star quarterbacks, yeah. uh, ACL. Um, and if and there's any Bengals fans watching this, feel You're... free to join me in sadness. I do the pregame shows on WEBN. Uh, in Cincinnati. It's available. You can stream it around the world on iHeartRadio, but I have to do a show about uh, a team that is just infinitely sad this week, and uh, I'm well, looking forward to doing it. So well, if you're, if you know, you're we're, a person who cares about that kind of stuff, you can we're, we're We're the Vikings here, too, so we're right there. Right, so your guy with the ACL is still going to play better than Kirk Cousins this week. <laughs> yeah, he's out till next year, but Tommy and I talk about this all the time. I really feel like we have our franchises are a mirror of one another. We're <laughs> Never the worst, but we're never the best. We neither we both been to Super Bowls, but never won one. And our version, you guys have the Packers, we have the Steelers. That's that it's legacy it. team that yes. always wins, and they, you know, so we we have very similar situations. Well, let me let me and just we'll let me let me just end it here without getting political. I've decided the Minnesota Vikings did win the Super Bowl. I'm not going to let the media <laughs> tell me that they lost. They won. It was a fraud. Okay, so there you go. I, I would also like camp. to announce that the Bengals have won the Super Bowl. There you uh, go. And, and you know, because I'm allowed to say that without yep. any actual evidence to back Ex exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. I feel much better knowing that I now support a Super Bowl team. <laughs> it's good. It's good to be Super Bowl champs, isn't it, Mike? Isn't it? I love it. <laughs> Thanks, Andy, guys. This thank was fun. you. Take care, man. Oh, always a blast talking to Andy. I mean, you know, he's a huge Kiss fan. I don't care. He's a huge Kiss fan. Uh, I love his music. I love what his band is doing. He's got great insight to everything. It was a great discussion about what, what mm -hmm. the music business and bands are going through right now. Um, you know, for homework questions, yeah, you know, go listen to the new uh, Black Veil Bride song. Let us know what you think. Um, talk about, you know, how do you discover new music? 
Or to your point, Tommy, when did you stop discovering new music? When did you stop caring about new music? Yeah, because you shouldn't. You should be looking right now because you'll be shocked at what you find. And, and go listen to Scarlet Cross. We're going to shill for our buddy Andy and his band, Blackville Brides. Buy his book. I'm going to buy it and read it. Yeah, I'm going to buy it. I mean, you know? and, and listen, we're, we're always yeah. nothing but honest here. I love the new Blackville Brides track. So, you know. It's great, isn't it? Really yeah. good. And, yeah. and I've been honest with them. The first, their first couple of records, I'm not a fan of because it was the Cookie Monster thing. And I'm like, you know, you've got a really good voice. You got to stop that. Yep. Yep. You know, start putting out some good songs. Yeah, and I'm looking and, forward to and his book they just as well. keep getting better and better. Yeah. yeah. So, and then also too, who else do you guys listen to that you like? And please don't say someone like Led Zeppelin, okay? Nothing against Zeppelin. Give me a new band that maybe folks don't know. Yeah, something we can discover. Tell me something new. And yeah. and, and, and I guess the last one is, um, are you going to buy the Kiss streaming? I don't yeah, care which level of it, but are you going to do it? And if you're not, why? You know, why? go ahead. Yeah, give us your yeah. argument as to why that's wrong. Yep. We're fine with that. I don't want to just hear because they're greedy bastards because that's not an answer. Yeah, that's not an answer. That's just stupid. Uh, but our people, our people are too smart for that. We're not going to get that. That's only if some troll that hops. Yeah, on. that's true. That's our true. people are too cool for that. They don't do that. Um, that's it. Uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, hit that subscribe button on spotify which you should be so you can discover new music follow us on spotify and itunes subscribe and leave a review and a rating it means a lot to us and i don't know one of these one of these weeks when mark gets a new router he'll be back on the show um that's it three sides we're out of here see everybody next week So you love the show. Go to iTunes.threesidesofthecoin.com and leave your review and rating of Three Sides of the Coin. Thanks.